is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday, and I've got a flipping good weekend. It's it's pantomime weekend. Yeah, I know. I know for a fact Catherine Boyle is off to see Louis Spence in Milton Keynes. Yeah, I've got the upper hand. We're off to see Mr Maker in St Albans. Yes, on Saturday. Very, very excited. The children are well now. We were supposed to go last week, but everyone had a bug and felt thoroughly, thoroughly rotten. So we're off to see Mr Maker, which I'm very, very excited about. But before I get to go and see him, I have to get through this nonsense. So, what have we got coming up on the show? Lots, to be honest, and as always... Uh, it will be nice to get your input. I'll give you the contact details after I, I flag up some of the things we're talking about. BBC Three Counties uh, has uh, found out a big there is a big increase in the number of crimes linked to social media in Bedfordshire. Why preparations for the Rio Olympics are already beginning for future sporting stars from the Three Counties, and the backlash has begun. How funny is Miranda Hart? The Radio Times describes her as comedy marmite. And there's been a couple of articles in the papers over the last couple of days, including one in the mail today, that kind of say, actually, do you know what? She's not that funny. What do you think? Is Miranda hilarious or just awful? I'll put my cards on the table. I'm a big fan. I think she's cracking. Uh, the, the ways to get in touch, you can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Or, and this is always my favourite way, and at the start of the show, it's a great time because all of the lines are free. I'll tell you that now. You can give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, social media, like Twitter and Facebook and MySpace, sorry, force for good... Or bad? Well, figures uh, sourced by BBC Three Counties show there's been a marked increase in crimes linked to social media sites in the past four years in Bedfordshire. In 2008, there were only seven instances concerning both Facebook and Twitter that were reported to the police. In 2012, it had increased to 149. On the other hand, it can be used to harness public support. In recent weeks, uh, both Twitter and Facebook have been used to search for missing people, such as Stansted Abbott's Gwyn Morris and Luton's Ed Gillespie. Well, social media expert Matt Hodkinson uh, from Hertfordshire is here to tell us more. Morning, Matt. Good morning, Ian. Uh, do, do people know that they can be p- uh, prosecuted for things that they post on Facebook and, and Twitter? Well, I don't think they do, and I think that's the big issue. There's still a, um, a mass awareness that's needed uh, amongst people that what they say on social media, um, as well as whatever they say in, in writing um, or vocally, can be used against them. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because if you set up um, a, an anonymous account like Matty69 on Twitter and you start sending abuse to me, for example, yeah. uh, it, it, it can be hard to track you down, can't it? It can. I mean, if you really are savvy with how you use computers, you'll realise that you can manipulate the information that you're putting out there. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you can be traced. The authorities can, you know, use IP addresses and to find out which computers were used. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I could be using a, an internet cafe or uh, I could manipulate the information that I'm putting out there so that it's, it's more difficult to trace me. Can anything be done to prevent someone from committing online crimes? No, I think the thing about social media is that up to this point it has been self-regulating. Our best chance is that people are the best police in this situation. And I think that's that's a good and a bad thing. It's 
bad in that it's, it's actually what is responsible, I think, for the increase in the crimes that are being reported, because more and more people are becoming aware that uh, what people say, what people do online uh, is, is there for everybody to see and um, people can be prosecuted as a result. Um, I think that the climate, the economic climate and what have you has been responsible for perhaps a lot of people um, not, not being in the right frame of mind and uh, perhaps seeking ways to, uh, to you know, act out their frustrations and, and what have you. So I, I think it's, um, it's just a culmination of things that have really fueled this. I've had two instances, uh, uh, Matt, where I've had to go to the police because of um, uh, abuse I was getting online. And it was interesting, one police force that I took it to uh, it was in central London. Uh, and, I mean, and this was serious stuff. This wasn't just people saying that your shows are rubbish, you're an idiot. It was people threatening to kill me and, and harm my children. Uh, and they, there were two different people. Uh, and the police force in central London took it very, very seriously. They ended up going to court. The police force that wasn't in central London, and, and this was the more serious uh, tweets I was getting, kind of went, well, there's, there's nothing we can do about it, really. There's no consistency, is there, with, with, with police? No, I, th- I think that's another issue. When I, when I talk about mass awareness, I think it spans the, the general public, but it also includes the authorities as well. And clearly some forces will be used to some instances versus others. It's, um, it's perhaps more prevalent in, in central London and larger cities than it is in, in the more rural areas. Um, but I think wherever these, um, these perpetrators act out, uh, their frustrations and, and you know whatever their motivations are, um, I think more and more people need to realise that uh, that it's time to uh, it's time to do something about it. Twitter and, and Facebook, it's, it's Twitter primarily, but, but 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 a lot of these 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 social media sites, they can be used um, for good in as much as raising public awareness. We've mentioned there a couple of cases of, of, of missing people, yeah. and you quite often see those campaigns, don't you, on Twitter? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people bought into social media and why it has become part of popular culture now. Um, I mean, I I remember a number of cases of people um, obviously rallying around their friends who have required, um, you know, rare blood types when they've um, had accidents and um, needed operations and, you know, in life-threatening situations, as well as obviously the the uprise, the Arab Spring and, uh, you know, political unrest and and fueling um, that kind of, you know, regime change that was clearly needed in those circumstances as well. It it can be a force for good, and, um, and I think that that will win over because after all i mean i I like to believe anyway that the vast majority of people are are good and have good intentions matt hawkinson uh the social media expert from hupfordshire thank you very much indeed what do you think dear listener oh eight four five nine four double five five double five speak to you after this bit of van morris and very nice i want more grumpy rock stars van the man is the grumpiest of them all he's the granddaddy of grump rock Want more? That's what we want from our rock stars. Now, earlier on this week, in fact, we constantly seem to be telling you this, about the, the, the cost of train fares going up. Well, now there's a warning for the government over its policies for the rail network. MPs on the Transport Select Committee say ministers mustn't keep ramping up fares. And they're calling for more transparency over how public money is being used to subsidise the railways. The committee was also critical of the handling of the West Coast mainline contract, saying it's raised serious doubts about the Department for Transport's capability to manage major procurements and its internal organisation and governance. We can talk now to Sim Harris. He's the Bedfordshire-based managing editor of Rail News, a rail industry newspaper. Morning, Sim. Morning. So I'm confused by what's going on here. Who's paying for what? There was once a famous author 
and he was sent a manuscript by an aspiring novelist. And the famous author wrote back, My dear sir, thank you for your manuscript, which is both original and good. Unfortunately, the parts which are good are not original, and the parts which are original are not very good. I think that sums up this report. Really? It tells us a great deal we already knew. Uh, we knew that the DFT is frankly not fit for purpose when it comes to awarding franchises. There was a report done by the Centrica boss, Sam Laidlaw, for the department that was published before Christmas, and it said all that and more. We know that, ladies and gentlemen. We don't really need to be told it again, but it's nice that you agree. It's also, you're saying they're calling, um, you and your colleagues are saying, they are calling for the DFT to back away from franchise management. Mm. Actually, they're not. They're saying, what are they saying? We have sympathy with the argument. That's very weak, isn't it? Yes. It's, it, 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 there is not much confidence in some of what they are saying. And there's another bit which <laughs> did strike me, rather. Um, there needs to be an effective mechanism to reconcile fairly the competing demands for train paths, that's the slots on the railway. Mm. True enough, there does need to be, and there is one. It's called the Office of Rail Regulation. Maybe we ought to introduce the Transport Committee to the ORR, because <laughs> they don't seem to know it's there. So hang on a second. So this report... It's not really calling for anything. It's saying, we can, hey, listen, we can see both sides of the argument. And it's recommending things that are already in existence. Well, if somebody said to you, hey, would you like a cup of coffee before the headlines? And you said, well, I have sympathy with the argument that I should... Is that yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> it's not very strong, is it? It's not very strong. And actually what's happening, because the, the way reporting works, the way things get written for news, mm. some of what's in here is being, as we say, hardened up when it gets reported. As you've just said, they are calling for the DFT. Mm. Well, they're not. They have sympathy with the argument. Mm. I'm very disappointed. Um, however, there are some good things they have said. There had to be something in it. Uh, and they've put their faces against new very high core peak fares now people traveling from three counties stations into london will undoubtedly say thank you very much my season ticket is quite enough mm. uh, if i have to get a train at eight o'clock in the morning which is sort of core peak i really don't want to pay any more Mm. to do that. And the committee's pointing out, and here I think they're right, that a lot of people who are on very average or indeed below average pay still have to travel in the peak. They have no choice. And indeed, the, the less well-paid jobs are often the, le the ones that are less flexible. And you can't decide when you want to go to work. You're told. So they've got a point there. We've, we, we've spoken to people this week who, whose um, uh, season tickets are going up. And uh, Am I correcting things? In the, in the past, you've defended fair increases. Oh, I think I'm defending the fair increase to a degree that we had this week. I know people are now throwing eggshells at the radio, but bear with me. The amount of money now being spent on the railway is massive. Network Rail get about £4 billion a year of public money. And no, that's not just going on high wages and the bonuses and all the rest of it. Um, in fact, they are moderating that because they know it's not popular, and rightly so. But what they are doing is spending a huge amount of money on improving the railway. Uh, a lot of money's been spent on the West Coast Main Line, the one that runs through Hemel and uh, Leighton Buzzard, Milton mm. Keynes, that route. Uh, in the near future, the next five years, we're going to see the electrification go ahead at last of the Midland Main Line. That's the one that runs up through St Albans and Luton and Bedford. And at the moment, the wires stop at Bedford. They're going to go on at least to Sheffield, and quite right too. A lot of other work is going on, huge amount in Birmingham. 800 million is being spent at Reading. This money has to come from somewhere. Isn't, isn't uh, the United Kingdom, well, England specifically, different from the rest of the UK and Europe? 
in the, in other parts of Europe, uh, a lot of the fares are subsidised more by governments, aren't they? And, and in this country, it's the passenger that's paying. The there's been, there's been a bit of a movement a few years ago. It was about fifty-fifty. It's now moved to sixty-forty, and the forty is government, and sixty is the passenger. It depends which com- country you look at. As so often, it's very difficult to make a, a benchmark mm. comparison. But very often, direct taxes in other countries are higher. I am told that in France, the national insurance, which costs an employer about twelve percent for each employee, is more like sixty percent in France. So they pay. More more by by deductions from their pay packets in other countries so arguably some of that goes to the railway now just how that should work just how much should come from the traveler and how much from the taxpayer on the grounds that the railway is vital to the economy which it is that's a political argument mm. sim always lovely to talk to you thank you very much sim harris there uh, who is the uh, bedfordshire based managing editor of rail news let's do it let's do it why not the beatles your mother should know from the magical mystery tour album eps whatever it is I love that song, and it's, it's completely neglected and overlooked, as is Hey Bulldog, another superb lost Beatles song. Now, St Albans Crown Court jailed the lowest population of thieves in the whole of the UK. Lowest proportion of thieves, sorry, in the whole of the UK. According to research carried out by Conservative MP Philip Davies, only 57% of robbery cases are being handed a custodial sentence. And when you compare this to Dorchester, who jail 100% of their robbery cases... It's low, isn't it? So does this mean offenders will consider this information before committing their crimes? Well, who better to know this than reformed burglar Bob Turney? Morning, Bob. Morning, man. Why do you think there are differences between the courts? Because it's a different types of robbery, isn't there? There's, um, uh, you know, if you just look at robbery, yeah, it would look a, a difference. But, you know, um, say, for instance, burglary. I mean, when I was active... Um, I would never break into a house at night or with people in it. I'd do it during the day because the sentences were less. And that's where, you know, people... You know, you look at robbery. I mean, one thing is just sort of uh, uh, stealing something from you. Another thing is knocking you over it and you're over the head. Yeah. Both robberies, but in less severe, in severity in, in either one of them. You, do you know what I mean, Ian? I do know what you mean, Bob. Yeah, do, but, but do you think that perhaps the, the, the simple-minded villain, of which I'm sure there are one or two, might look at this and think, oh, St Albans, there's less chance of me getting, getting sent down for this. Let's, let's go and do some robberies in, in St Albans. No, I don't think so. I don't think they think that way. I mean, it's just it's just the way it works out. You see, Hunty Coombe Prison came out uh, a little while ago as the most, um, you know, most, uh, most attacks on inmates or assaults on inmates by inmates. But what they were doing, they were recording every incident, mm. even a push or something. So where other prisons weren't recording some of the lesser lesser assault things, so it looked like, it looked like that um, Hunchacoon Prison was a, quite a violent place to be in, but it's not. I mean, I worked there, I know, I know that, well, I used to work there, so I know the, the stats on that one. It's the way people recalled them, actually. So I mean, it's, it makes good headlines for the politician, doesn't it? Well, deadlines. Yeah. Well, well, Philip Davis, the, the Conservative MP who's, who's come out with uh, this research, has been quoted as saying that ministers should name and shame soft judges. What do you think about that? Well, the point is, see, under the, see, under the, see, on the sentencing guidelines, all judges have got sentencing guidelines and magistrates, okay. And if they sentence our signing guidelines, either way, whether they're too, too lenient or too, too harsh, they have to put in writing when asked, why, why did they do that? Mm. So, you know, 
you've got to look at every case on its merit rather than overall. But very quickly and finally, just on a personal interest, what, what made you go straight? Uh, basically, I got, uh, very, very quickly, and I got, uh, I got, uh, stopped feeling sorry for myself and started feeling sorry for my victims. Really? Yeah. As simple as that? that yeah. And how long have you been straight now, Bob? Oh, 32 years now. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. Bob, listen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Bob Turney, reformed burglar. Um, I could have spoken to him for ages. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, can I ask you very quickly before you disappear? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the backlash has begun and people are now questioning whether Miranda is funny. Do you think Miranda's funny? I'm not a massive fan. You can, <laughs> you can say you don't like her if you want. We won't, we won't beat you over the head don't with Don't dislike her, just not my... Mm, no, no. What's, what's, your, what's your funniest show? What's your favourite thing? So we get a kind of feel for you, Tyler. Oh, um. Oh my gosh, I can't even think what's on at the moment. Uh, we, we will come back to you later and we'll find okay, out. Yeah, Have a little think. About that Thank one. you very much indeed. 08459 555 As I say, the backlash has begun. Once the nation's favourite, Miranda Hart, is now being touted by some of the papers, including the Mail today, as being unfunny and overrated. What do you think? Do you think she's funny? I think she's fantastic. Love it. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. What do you reckon about Miranda? Is she funny? I don't really watch it, to be honest. Oh. Um, but I kind of like her. I saw her in a space weird thing years ago, and I thought she was funny. But it, a lot of it's a lot of it's quite physical. I don't know. I, I'm not really massively into organised comedy. What on earth does that mean? The BBC in beds, hearts, and bugs. What? This is BBC Three Counties Radio. I need to get my head around that. Does Catherine Paul just say, I'm not really into organised comedy? What, what does that mean? We're asking this morning, is Miranda funny? I think she's brilliant. I think she's brilliant, and I've met, I've met her a few times, and she's absolutely delightful. Uh, and I think she's great. And this is the thing we do, is we kind of, we, we, we champion the underdog in this country, don't we? go, oh, yeah, then, we, then they, when they become really popular, we go, oh, no, they're rubbish. They're rubbish now. No, why do we do that? She's superb. Or do you disagree? Do you think she's awful, overrated, and you've never got her? 08459 455 555. As well as that, we're also discussing why preparations for the Rio Olympics, I know, are already beginning. Just when we thought we could leave the Olympics behind us, preparations for the Rio Olympics are already beginning for future sporting stars from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. And it's a big weekend for Watford this weekend. Find out why from our sports editor, an all-round good-looking dish, Jeff Doyle, in the next half hour. Hurricane in the back of her throat. I've just been told by a member of my team what that means. Don't <coughs> me. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, uh, 08459 555555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, five of our homegrown future Olympians start a gruelling training programme this morning, this morning, to get them ready for Rio 2016. Oh, have a lie-in. Come on, it's not even, it's not even a, a full week of the new year yet. The group of young athletes from Beds, Hearts and Bucks join 100 others at the Youth Sport Trust's National Talent Camp in Loughborough. Chief Executive for Youth Sport Trust, John Steele, is on the line now. Morning, John. Morning, Ian. They've got four years to go yet, John, for goodness sakes. Let them have a lie-in for once. <laughs> no time for lions, Ian, I'm afraid. Um, no, it's, it's fantastic. We've got, as you've rightly said, we've got five people from the region 
um, amongst uh, nearly 100 other young athletes, some of the best in their sports uh, uh, nationally, selected by the governing bodies to come to this camp. And, and it's really about um, preparing them for what it takes. And, and last summer we saw the, the, the end product, if you like, the fantastic medals and some great performances. But it's a hard old journey to get there. And, and this is really about um, showing them and demonstrating what it takes and, and really asking the question, are you up for this and, and do you think you can do it? Uh, the answer, if you ask me, John, to both those questions would be nah. Uh, but <laughs> w- w- well done to everyone who is there. You, you said that we've got five uh, of your campers are from, bed, uh, from Hearts and Bucks. Who are they and how, how are they doing? Are they doing good? I, I haven't got the names in front of me at the moment. They've only just come in this morning. Right, but, okay. Um, they're various ages. We've got the age groups from 14 to 19 and I know um, they're the younger, from the region, they're younger athletes mm. than sort of 14, 15. Yeah. Um, so potentially um, they're across a lot of different sports and, you know, they could be seen in 2016, more likely 2020. Wow. Uh, how intense is this camp? Is it, you know, kind of, there's a whistle at 7 o'clock in the morning and everyone gets up and does a, 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 a cross-country? What, what's kind of the regime there? Well, it's, it's trying to recreate the atmosphere that, uh, and the environment which our elite athletes um, have to, to, to get to the peak, the summit of their sport and be the gold medalist or the, the Olympic medalist that you saw in the summer. So, yes, it pushes them physically, but it also shows them that there has to be commitment, uh, a lot of self-sacrifice, a lot of dedication and real focus if you are going to achieve. So. It does ask the question because it's not for everybody. Mm. And, and the young people who are here have already achieved in their sport. But if they are going to really fully commit now, they have to realise that um, there's a lot of, um, as I say, self-sacrifice. And uh, it, it, it takes a, a real focus and it, it dominates your life, really. John, you're talking about 14, 15-year-olds um, preparing, not necessarily, as you say, for the Olympics in, in 2016, but the Olympics after that in 2020. How does a 14, 15-year-old get their head around planning for something that's seven years away? Well, well, what we say is from talent identification to potentially being a gold medalist, it's about an eight-year journey. So as you say, what, we seem to, what you tend to see at the Olympics is the end product, and that's great. But there's eight years of mm. sweat behind that. And sometimes those eight years don't result in what you want. You don't get that medal or the, or the goal you've set yourself. So it is being realistic. It is a long, hard road, uh, and you have to be very, very dedicated to, to succeed. And obviously, it, 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 it's, a lot of it is the physical aspect of it. But I imagine that the mental approach uh, is also incredibly important. Yes, it is. And, and having the, the mind and the body as fit as they can be and working together is, is hugely important. And um, what we saw at, with the home advantage of London in, in the summer was how mentally you can get such a boost from having the crowd and, and, and all the support that our athletes have. And it can really boost your physical performance. Um, you know, the likes um, of Mo Farah and others, you could actually see them lift on the track mm. at certain moments with the support. And that's home advantage. And of course, that's a mental aspect. So, yes, the, the mental training, um, we, we talk to them a lot about how you prepare mentally, how you stay resilient during the hard times as well. Uh, listen, John, thank you. Sounds fantastic. John Steele, uh, Chief Executive for youth, the Youth Sport Trust. Uh, it sounds fantastic. It sounds hard work, to be honest. I used to run for my county. I was a sprinter for my county. 400 metres. Boom! Um, I, I was ra- racing mainly against a lad called Adrian Patrick. It was brilliant. If you know anything about uh, athletics, you'll be aware of him. Uh, And I just... I didn't have the inclination. I discovered girls and beer at about 15. Well, beer at 15, girls was a couple of years later. But I just kind of thought, really? 
running every night? I don't think so. Well, later on in the show, we'll be hearing from Ben Chapman, who's a cyclist from Milton Keynes, uh, after his morning training session later on uh, in the show. Now, Miranda Hart. Is she funny? What do you think? There was a little thing in one of the papers yesterday, and that referenced a thing that had been in the papers a few days before, and now there's something in the mail today. I so want to love Miranda, but her show just isn't funny anymore, says Christopher Stevens. How many times can one woman fall off of a bar stool? Miranda Hart does it like a turkey tumbling out of a tree, hands flapping desperately as she topples, trying to defy gravity all the way down. Once, it's amusing. Twice, it's repetitive. The third time, it's stale. After that, it's just lazy. I, I think you can do it well, loads of times, to be honest. I think you can do it well. 08459 455 555. Well, we sent our reporter, Jane Killick, out and about to find out whether you love her or loathe her. Not Jane, that, Miranda, that is. Morning, Jane. Good morning. What, what have you been uh, finding out out well, there? Well, I'm in Hemel Hempstead this morning, and the people love Miranda Hart here. I have not spoken to one person who either doesn't like her or even doesn't watch her. Everybody watches her. One woman running for her sports fitness class this morning couldn't stop to talk to me but says she loves Miranda Hart. Um, Beth says she loves Miranda Hart. A chap called Bruce says he sits down, watches her with the family, um, loves Miranda Hart. He's a new viewer, didn't watch the first series, joined in in the second series, loving it. Um, Nine million viewers she got on New Year's Day, so somebody loves her. This person, for example, I also spoke to Neil. He said he loves Miranda Hart too. What's your name? Uh, Neil Fleming. Neil. Yeah. So, Neil, do you think Miranda Hart is funny? Uh, yeah, she seems to appeal to the family and um, good wholesome entertainment. Um, and there aren't too many female comedians, or there haven't been t- over the years. So, um, uh, I think she's she's perfect for Christmas as well. Um, but um, no, I should imagine she's got a fairly good uh, career ahead of it now. You sit and watch with the family then. Yeah, it's probably one of the shows we, we would sit down and all watch together. Well, certainly three out of the four, anyway. <laughs> Who doesn't like it, then? Uh, my son is not so keen on it. OK, how old is he? Uh, 17. OK, then. Some people say she's just a bit of a clown. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Um, what's wrong with being a clown? Isn't that what makes us laugh? Um, no, I think that's... Well, I don't see that as being a, a problem. Any uh, other comedy shows that you watch together? Uh, are there any more comedy sh- No, not, not really, not like that, no. So uh, she's unique, really? Uh, yeah, she probably is in that respect, yeah. yeah. There we go, that's the general view from Hemel Hempstead. People loving Miranda Hart, don't mind that she's a clown, love slapstick humour, sit down with the family. I've not found one negative word to be said about her. Jane, keep hunting, because the backlash has begun. Jane Killick out and about there. Thank you very much for that. 08459 455 555. People, I've heard the criticism that her show, oh, it's a bit old-fashioned, yeah? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? If it's old-fashioned and it's good, it doesn't matter. It's a proper, traditional, old-fashioned sitcom. And I think it's cracking stuff. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. So, uh, Tyler, what gets you... I don't know why I'm calling you by your last name this morning, <laughs> but it feels appropriate. What gets you laughing, then? Well, I like sort of weird stuff. Give me names! Do you know what I mean? Like, sort of, like, like Arrested Development, that sort of stuff. Hey, there's a new series of that coming out. Well, I know, don't get me too excited, because they say it is, and then there isn't, and then they say it is. No, they're filming it. They're, I've seen Are pictures from the set. It's being filmed now. There's a new series, and there's talk of a movie. <gasps> Where have you seen the pictures? Oh, they're online, Sophie Tyler. They're all online. Arrested Development, if you've not seen it, she's right. It's Have you seen it? It's one of the best. One of the best. There's a new series coming out. That should do.
be in the headlines. It won't be. Now, you've probably seen the pictures of Manchester City boss Roberto Mancini in a scuffle with his striker, Mario Balotelli. It's on the back pages of uh, a lot of the papers. Uh, well, it's good news for Watford fans, because the Hornets play the Premier League champions tomorrow in the FA Cup third round. 6,000 Watford fans are heading up to Manchester. Also going there is our sports editor, Jeff Doyle. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Ian. Now, th- this bust-up, I've seen these photos. Mm. <laughs> they're is, interesting, aren't they? They're inter- is it a real bust-up, or is it them just having a laugh? No, it's not a laugh. Is it it's proper? Not a laugh. It's proper. Really? It's proper. I think what happened was that uh, it was towards the end of training, and uh, Balotelli tackled one of his own players, obviously in the training match, and it was near the end. And I think Mancini said, "Listen, we don't need those tackles in training. Right at the end, off you go." And Bally refused to go. This is the story. And uh, Mancini said, "Well, you're off. You're going. You go, but go back in the dressing room and have a shower." And that's where it led to because Balotelli wouldn't go off. And that's where the, the, the sort of little altercation came about. I've just seen a picture of what I think is his car as well. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, is this his car, his Bentley? I would have thought so. That's, it's a Bentley, but it's camouflaged. You know, like you get, like, you know, like soldiers wear and they're out in the jungle. It's camouflaged like that, like a tank. Why has he done that? What an idiot! Who Balotelli? Uh, that, yes, that's, that's what he's like, isn't it? Oh, this is man. this is man. This is who he is, and this is who Watford could be up against. Well, is this, is this bust up good news for for Watford supporters? Then it means there's a little bit of tension that they're kind of fraying at the seams. Well, certainly those two. I mean, it's very not very often that, that a player and a manager will have one of these uh, sort of tiffs in training. Some it's normally between player and player, and it gets you know brushed over but this is a, a a difficult situation and an odd situation um Balotelli, we know has had a load of issues in the past at city um he's had uh, in, ill discipline on the pitch he remember he set off fireworks in his house that time he did no then, i don't remember he did what he set off fireworks in his house inside his house inside his house what which a led to a fire of course it did they're fireworks in a house <laughs> idiots <laughs> with a camouflage <laughs> car yes the fire bra- brigade were called and he had to live in a hotel for a few weeks so the story goes um, and then, <laughs> He's fast becoming my new hero. <laughs> and then the next time I think he played, he had that shirt underneath his, his Manchester City top, which said, why always me? Because well, you're an I idiot, that's why. Well. <laughs> I'll say it, Jeff, don't worry. I know, I, yes. I know you have to be uh, diplomatic here. Yes, exactly. So, I, you know, falling out with your boss is never good. This could be the last straw, although some believe that he might well play. If he doesn't, then they still have plenty of strikers to call upon, Tevez and Dzeko and plenty of others. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll put up a decent side, won't they, against Watford? Yeah, they will, because even if they're not full strength, their fringe players are just fantastic. Gareth Barry, James Milner, Julian Lesker, they're all internationals. They'd walk into most Premier League teams. Uh, they're the best team in the country. They won the Premier League last season. Watford are in the division below, so this is a difficult match. And Manchester City need to win it. They're out of Europe. They need to stay in this cup competition. Now, on, listen listen to me pretending I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to do Go some football talking. I'm going to do some football talking, Jeff. Mm. On paper, it looks like a dead cert for Man City, but the... <laughs> e- <laughs> I'm good at this. I'm ma- literally making this up, plucking it from what the air. Do- what, what are you doing Saturday afternoon? <laughs> I'm not watching the football, let me tell you that. <laughs> uh, but, but the FA Cup is, uh, where, is real, where dreams can come true. David against Goliath, isn't it? Oh, yes. They're the old cliches. Do Watford stand any chance whatsoever? Uh, well, they'd have to play very well indeed, and Manchester City would have to have an off day. I think that's probably the best way of looking at it. It's, no. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, two big, two other big FA Cup matches, mm. aren't there, for us tomorrow? Yeah, there are. Luton versus Wolves. 
uh, Hatters, of course, in the conference. Wolves in the championship, so three divisions separate these two. Uh, Kenilworth Road will be great. It's a sellout. Uh, that could be the upset of the day, and Just there, right there. Uh, Wolves are struggling. Their manager's under pressure. He could possibly face the sack, yeah, I'd sack if him. they lose. I would yeah. sack him, I think. What if they lose? He's, I, I, even if they win, to be honest, he's, he's had plenty of chances, this fella. What's his name? Steve? Dave? Stale. Yeah. Stale. Stale. Stale Solbacken. Yeah. Is, is that, that's not a man's name, is it? <laughs> Stale Solbacken. That's a, that's yes. a bread. <laughs> uh, and, and MK Dons, they're playing as well, aren't they? They are. They're at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and the Dons probably will feel that they can win that one, although Wednesday are in the division above uh, in the championship, but they're struggling there. So MK Dons will go there and, and possibly cause an upset too. We'll see. Jeff, thank you very much indeed. Uh, no doubt we'll speak to you next week and find out how that went on. Three County Sport tomorrow has commentary and all three FA Cup games from two o'clock. Regular listeners to this show will know I know very little or have very little interest in football. But, but, I think I held my own there. I think, Jeff Doyle, who, the, the sports correspondent, I think I held my own there. I think I did well. Uh, your texts on Miranda, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Uh, Philip in Wadden says, Miranda has only one gag. I'm tall, frumpy and clumsy. One-dimensional, one joke, never funny. Even her foray into straight acting was the same. Um, Joe, uh, Philip and Joe say, We love Miranda. She's so funny, I lost my breath laughing. Proper slapstick humour. She then negates the, her argument by saying, We also love Mrs Brown's boys too. Ah, you see, now that isn't funny. Um, and Simon Thompson, Miranda, the comedy equivalent of beige, up there with other current laugh vacuums, Mrs Brown's boys and Citizen Khan. I got a uh, member of the team, Kelly Betts, the Citizen Khan DVD for Christmas. I wonder if she's watched that yet. I'd have to ask her. I hope so. It cost me a lot of money. Sophie Tyler, BBC, Three Counties Radio. Quick tip, Sophie. Go and check mm-hmm. your Twitter feed. Oh, I just have. I've sent you a little gift. Thank you very much indeed. Basically, if you've never seen Arrested Development, which is the show that Sophie was talking about earlier on, it is fantastic. It's one of the cleverest best american sitcoms it disappeared for years and they're bringing it back for one more series i cannot tell you how happy that makes me feel i just saw some dust on one of my computer screens there are lots of computer screens and some of them are touch screens and some of them are not touch screens and i didn't know if this one was or not so I'm very, very tentatively touching it with my, <laughs> my little finger, hoping not to set off a bit of music. It turns out it's not touchscreen. I can touch that with my fingers whenever I feel the desire to. Uh, morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, lots coming up in the next hour, including BBC, uh, BBC Three Counties Investigation finds there's been a big increase in crimes linked to social media in Bedfordshire. Find out why in the next half an hour. St Albans Crown Court jail the lowest proportion of offenders who've committed robberies in the whole of the UK. We'll hear from a criminal lawyer from Luton to find out why he thinks that is. And the backlash is beginning against comedian Miranda Hart. How funny do you think she is? I think she's brilliant. I think she's, I think she's great. A breath of fresh air in this potty-mouthed world that we live in full of Jimmy Cars and Jack Whitehalls. <laughs> uh, I think she's great. What do you think, though? You think she's rubbish? Overrated? Not funny? 08459 455555. You can uh, send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can go to the Facebook page, and we'll read out some of your Facebook comments in the next hour or so. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
what's great about this Miranda story in the uh, the mail, I've only just noticed it, is there's a whole page about it. And in the bottom bottom corner, there's one of those pictures that you don't see anymore. It's a, a man who was fat with a big pair of trousers that he used to fit in. You don't see those pictures anymore, do you? I used to fit into these. It's great. I greatly believe that this rowing machine made all the difference to me in my journey says Kevin McLernan, who used to be fat, according to these trousers. These trousers are literally three times the width of him now. Those pictures used to be big in the 70s and 80s. You don't see them anymore. Whenever I'm in a shop that has um, big trousers, I often have pictures taken of me uh, with those. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Social media. A force for good or one for bad? Well, figures sourced by the BBC Three Counties show that there's been a marked increase in crimes linked to social media sites in the past four years in Bedfordshire. In 2008, there were only seven instances concerning both Facebook and Twitter reported to the police. Uh, in 2012, it's increased to 149. On the other hand, of course, it can be used to harness public support. In recent weeks alone, both Twitter and Facebook have been used to search for missing people, such as Stansted Abbott's Gwyn Morris and Luton's Ed Gillespie. Well, Andrea B- uh, Briggs is e-communications manager for Bedfordshire Police. Morning, Andrea. Good morning. What success have you had using social media? We've had quite a few successes where we've put out appeals for missing people. They've been shared amongst our followers across the sites and we've had reports of sightings coming in. We've also had uh, appeals for crimes that we publish on our Facebook site and again we've had information that has been received into our force control room uh, giving us information about those crimes. I guess the question uh, has to be have you found any of those missing people because of Twitter, and have you actually s- arrested any be- anybody because of what you put up on Facebook? I can't say that we, we've found people specifically because um, of Facebook or Twitter, but it has certainly helped spread the word that these people are missing or a crime has been committed. And with the information that we are being received about possible sightings, it's all helping to to locate those people but but it hasn't specifically located them it's just it's raised awareness yes it has Uh, how seriously do the police take social media i mean is 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 that your your full-time job is is kind of being on twitter and on facebook no it's not our full-time job we have uh, many areas within e-communications facebook and twitter just forms part of that um, and it's something that we monitor Monday to Friday between office hours. Obviously, in the event of a major incident or if there's a big event going on like a carnival or a, a protest, then we will open the site up at weekends or evenings to provide public reassurance and keep people up to date of what's going on. Has it created more problems for you? Because there is, there are a lot of, I nearly saw then, there are a lot of idiots on, on uh, the social networking sites who are not only unhelpful but, but quite bullying at times, aren't there? there? There are those type of people, but at the same time we have a, a lot of good supporters, a lot of good followers on our sites who are genuinely interested in policing in Bedfordshire and what's happening within their county and their community and genuinely want to help. Any tips for people using Twitter and Facebook and these other sites? I would just say that when you're using them, be mindful of what you are saying and the audience that um, is receiving your, your comments or your posts, as sometimes they can be offensive.
Andrea Briggs, thank you very much indeed. E-Communications Manager for Bedfordshire Police. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. I do find it interesting, these searches for missing people on Twitter. And, and Andrew there kind of said, well, yeah, we've not actually found anybody because of it. So is it any use? I made a decision a long time ago not to retweet. I get quite often sent things saying, could you retweet this for this charity? Or could you retweet this about this missing person? Or could you retweet this because, you know, my brother needs a kidney? And I made the decision a few years ago not to. Because, I know, and it makes me look a little bit tight, but I haven't got a particularly good argument for it. I think once I start doing that for one... Then I've got to do it for everybody that sends me a message. Oh, yeah, but my, my little kid's missing. Can you retweet this? I'm not quite sure how effective it is in terms of finding things. It looks a little bit like bandwagon jumping. Uh, and also, I, d- I kind of don't like the bullying. There is a lot of bullying. Why didn't you... Uh... I had a tweet the other day from someone who said, oh, my, my nephew used to listen to you. He's in hospital with lung cancer. Could you retweet this message? And I didn't. I sent him back a little message saying, I'll send him my best. Then this guy sent me a load of abuse. Why didn't you retweet it? You should have retweeted it. He's got lung cancer. For goodness sake. Really? Uh, I'm never sure, really, how effective and how influential Twitter is. Really? The Arab Spring? Really? Was it as powerful as everyone seems to think? I don't know. 08459 555555. You can tweet us, of course, at Ian Lee or at BBC 3CR. Now, five of our young future Olympians start a gruelling training programme this morning to get them ready for Rio 2016. They were selected by a governing body to be part uh, of um, the 100 athletes taking part in the Youth Sports uh, Youth Sport Trust's National Talent Camp, Wowzers, in Loughborough. Well, John Brewer, head of SES Department and Director of Sport at University of Bedfordshire, joins me now. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Ian. Why are camps like this important for young athletes? Well, I think we've all just seen uh, how tremendous the London 2012 Olympic Games were and clearly there is a real task of all sports now to find the talent of the future and talent identification is the first step on the path to to Olympic glory, Olympic medals. Um, Talent development is then the next stage but unless you get that talent identification right and you find those talented athletes, perhaps expose them to sports that they've not previously had chance to take part in, then of course our chances of winning medals in the future will be reduced. Can you really spot, the, you know, the potential talent in 14, 15 year olds? Because their, their bodies are still changing, their minds are still changing? Yeah, it, it's a big task and it is the real challenge for, for coaches, for national governing bodies. I think the first thing that I, I say to our students at the University of Bedfordshire is that if you want to be an Olympic champion, then you do have to choose your parents carefully. You have to make sure you've got that right genetic uh, makeup that ensures you've got the right fast twitch muscle fibres if you're going to be in a, the next Usain Bolt or the right slow twitch fibres if you're going to be the next Mo Farah. You need to have that, that genetic predisposition. But of course, what you then have to do is overlay on top of that uh, the right coaching, the right mental approach, the right attitude, um, the right access to sport in order to succeed and get to the very top. And I think what these camps will do is to start to identify those individuals that do have the genetic makeup. They will inspire them. They will hopefully be able to instill in them that right mental approach and then start to give them the right coaching that are the first few steps on the way to, to success in the future. There has been research, hasn't there, into to physical and maturity development. What, what did they find out? Well, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, certainly some of the work we've done uh, has shown that, uh, certainly at a young age, um, and I worked, my, my first job uh, many years ago was working for the Football Association at their soccer school at Lillishaw, where we had kids for sort of 13, 14 years of age who were selected from all over the country uh, and came to stay at Lillishaw for two years. 
And one of the first things that we found was that about 85% of those young lads were actually, perhaps surprisingly, born between September and Christmas. Um, and very few individuals selected for those talent camps were born in, in the summer months. And what that led was to a whole load of research, really, that showed that individuals born in the latter part of the school year, the academic year, tend to be less physically mature than those born in the early part of the year, even though they've got the same amount of talent. And so when it comes to selection camps, unfortunately, they get overlooked. So I think there's a real challenge, again, for those involved in selecting individuals in running these camps to ensure that everybody gets a fair crack at taking part in sport. Denise, when I was at school, we used to have, um, th- th- there were loads of different kind of sporting events that were kind of inter-county. There were th- th- all these different competitions, there were certificates, there was, uh, I'm trying to think, there was one called the, the AAA was, was, yeah, was a big the thing. Amateur Athletic Association. Yeah, d- d- does nice. that stuff still ga- carry on at schools? Yeah, very much so. The, you know, the whole one of the main ethos is of the of the, of the youth sport trust who are running the camp in Loughborough is to develop sport in schools, um, and all of the national governing bodies are working closely with schools to put uh, sports development offices in place. We've got uh, all the county sport partnerships, team beds and Luton locally, all working closely with schools to get sport embedded in schools and to get competition uh, pathways in place to ensure that individuals with talent can develop and grow but at the same time those that perhaps don't have the talent who still want to take part in in the sport and enjoy it also have the chance as well because that's very important too so there really is a very strong talent id and talent development program in place for nearly all governing bodies i think one concern that that i still have and i know that's shared by a number of people is that um unfortunately if you look at the the distribution of medals say at the olympic games it's still disproportionate to those that come from the independent, the private sector in school. And we do need to make sure that all kids in all schools get access to the right facilities and the right coaching. And we're working very, very hard to do that to ensure that everybody has a chance to to win medals and to develop in the future. Professor John Brewer, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Fascinating stuff. The athletes are ready uh, and they're training this morning already. Can you believe that? Later on, we'll be hearing from Milton Keynes cyclist Ben Chapman to find out how he's getting on. Listen to me. Uh, For the last, um, well, for all of this week, I've been building up the energy to pop to the gym around the corner and go and have a look at their swimming pool and sign up for that and I was going to do it yesterday and I was like can't be bothered <laughs> that's how lazy I am I can't be bothered to so literally it's a two minute walk to the gym around the back of the radio station and go and have a look at their pool and see if it's worth so I want to go swimming twice a week can't be bothered uh, right. St Albans Crown Court jailed the lowest proportion of offenders who've committed robberies in the whole of the UK. According to research carried out by Conservative MP Philip Davies, only 57% of people were handed a custodial sentence. However, in Aylesbury, judges came down very hard on sex offenders, with 94% of them being given a custodial sentence. But why is there this seemingly postcode lottery in sentencing? We can speak now to Alex Radley, who is a criminal lawyer from Noble Solicitors in Luton. Morning, Alex. Good morning, um, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Why are the sentences so different from place to place? Uh, Obviously, it's difficult to um, analyse things in terms of just areas without knowing what the cases are that have come before the court. Um, There can be a number of um, variations in the type of case that comes before the court, uh, which affect the sentences that the judges, judges actually give. But it seems odd. If you take the sexual assault, Aylesbury, it's frowned upon. 94% of them given a custodial sentence. Salisbury, ah, they don't mind. Only 37% go to jail. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why there is uh, such a big difference. Perhaps uh, the reporting is different of those figures for one reason. 
Um, another thing may be, um, as in Hertfordshire, uh, there are perhaps diversion schemes in place uh, whereby uh, people are uh, given community orders with regard to uh, treatment so that they don't commit offences again in the future. So maybe that's one of the reasons why um, they uh, don't always get a custodial sentence in uh, one particular area. Alex, I've been watching your house. I've been watching you and your family. I know the movements that you make, and I know when your house is empty. I break in there at 2.35 on a Thursday afternoon. I steal your laptop, I steal your DVD player, your collection of DVDs, and your family jewellery. I get caught because I'm clumsy. How long could I expect to be sent to prison for? Uh, uh, dwelling burglaries are a, are a serious crime and inevitably um, you'll get a custodial sentence for a, a dwelling burglary of that nature. What, what's the kind um, of average sentence? On, yeah, depending on the uh, convictions that you've got if you've been in trouble with the police for burglary before. I've been in trouble for dealing drugs but I've never been violent. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> um, and I think that you'd be looking at uh, a term of imprisonment in the region of 18 months to three and a half years. Oh, blimey. Like that. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's, it's taken really, really quite seriously, to be quite frank. OK, because there, there are some people who... who you, you hear stories in the newspaper about these, the, the, the burglars kind of getting let off. That doesn't really happen yeah. in the real world, does it? It doesn't. I mean, if you, ha- if you go to the Crown Court... Uh, with a very serious case, such as uh, a dwelling burglary or a serious robbery, because don't forget, there can be ranges of seriousness of any particular offence. But if you go to the Crown Court with one of those serious offences, inevitably you're going to be locked up. And that's about the uh, long and short of it. Is there a chance, though, that that, that, uh, dim-witted criminals uh, could read these statistics and see, oh, hang on, St Albans, if I do a robbery there, there's less chance of me going to prison. They they might gravitate towards St Albans. Yeah, I I can understand why people might think that, but generally I think they're probably uh, not enthusiastic enough to uh, be able to look at things like this. Uh, Mm. I don't think it's as calculated as, uh, as that, really. Um, so I don't think that that's going to be a major factor in it, that's for sure. But Alex Radley, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and uh, by the way, that wasn't a threat that I was making there. That was a, a strictly a fictional scenario. I do not have a conviction for dealing drugs. I got let off with a caution. I did, and that's a joke as well. Uh, it's Alex Radley, a criminal lawyer from Noble Solicitors in Luton. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I don't think Helen Mirren's hot. I don't think she's hot. Everyone thinks she's hot. I don't think she's hot. She, 67, still looking sexy. No, she's looking like a 67-year-old woman. And I find that her parading around, trying to look um, like a little sex kitten, I find it a little bit embarrassing, if I'm completely honest. Anyway, she's on the front page of The Independent. That's why I reference her. Star quality. Helen Mirren was honoured on the Hollywood Walk of Fame with a star yesterday. Then there's a picture of her lying next to it. Have some dignity, woman. You're older than my mum, right? Stop trying to sex it up. Uh, And um, the brainwashed by the Tory welfare myths, again on The Independent, uh, survey shows public ignorance of the level of benefits and who gets them. Ministers were accused last night of demonising benefit claimants in an attempt to justify their controversial decision to increase most state handouts uh, by less than inflation. Uh, Let's see what else we've... uh Hang on a second. Why have, why have I got two independents? That's an old one. Uh, Helen Mirren is on the front of the Telegraph. Look, I mean, 
I'm sure she's a lovely lady, fantastic actress, and in her day, foie. But her day was about 1972. She's got far too much rouge on in this picture. Dame Helen Mirren has claimed that sex is not the secret to a lasting marriage. She said partnership was far more important. People get together for reasons other than sex, huh? Uh, wind farm protesters backed by minister. P- uh, people opposed to onshore wind farms should not have their views ridden over roughshod, the planning minister has told the energy minister in a private letter. And best to let baby cry, academics tell parents. It will be music to the ears of those who lobby their loved ones to just leave the baby. But a red rag to those who think that letting a baby cry itself to sleep is a cruel throwback to the 1950s. When they're about eight months onwards, yes, let them cry. For about five minutes, go in, calm them down, come back out again. Let them cry for ten minutes, go in, calm, like that. Nothing wrong with letting them cry once they're about eight months old. Onwards. Uh, 08459 We'll do the rest of the papers in a bit, shall we? Now, are you into your Asian soap operas? It's been a long time for me. It's been a long time. Well, uh, Kel Karegi is uh, from Hertfordshire and has just written a brand new one for Zing TV. It's called Cloud Nine, and it's the first daily Asian soap series to be produced here in the UK. Kel's with us now. Morning, Kel. Good morning. What, what's Cloud Nine all about? Well, basically, it's about a, uh, it's about a community. It's the story of a lot of people's lives, not all of them sort of Asian. You know, we do have uh, people from all over sort of the UK, all across the world. And it's basically their stories, you know, how they live day-to-day life, how they're trying to achieve their goals, how they're just trying to get by. So it's got the, the highs of life as well as the lows, just sort of like a normal soap opera. Kel, this, has got the ch- this is on Zing TV, which, which some people will be going, uh, but this is worldwide, isn't it? This has got the chance to be seen by millions of people. It, it is, yeah. It's part of the Z, uh, the Z network. How did is- you get this gig? Uh, it's quite a funny story, actually. It sort of happened two years ago. I mean, I've been um, presenting for uh, Zing for the last four years, and the uh, producer and director of uh, this show and my other show as well, Brits Bollywood, uh, Gunjan Hazarika, Picture 8 Productions, he came up to me with this concept, you know, there is no sort of uh, UK-made uh, British serial. So he sort of said, you know, I've got this idea about this community, and we started sort of talking, we started discussing characters, and just bit by bit, it just started growing and growing, and he sort of said, you know, do you want to give it a go right in the script? I did it, and, uh, you know, it just it basically took off from there, just really started to blossom into this brilliant, brilliant story, if I may say so myself. Well, listen, <laughs> d- 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 some, some soap survive, and then for everyone that survives, there's always an Albion Market or an El Dorado. Of course. How do you think Cloud Nine's going to go? I think it's going to go, well, I'm hoping it's going to go well. Um, you know, it's, uh, the thing is, there's, there was a lot of research done into sort of what uh, the British Asian audience wanted, what the... British uh, audience wanted, and also what the viewers of Z and Zing wanted. And they sort of, you know, a lot of their shows are recycled from India. So it's uh, a show that's made in India, and they just make it there and then basically play it here, expecting for the British Asian audience to uh, to accommodate to that. Well, that's not the case, you know. They want something, they want people to tell their story. They want a more British form of, of television making. So Zing have gone all out, you know, really trying to push this forward. And, and so I think it's going to be welcomed with open arms. And we do have, a, as much as we have, you know, the drama and the romance, we also have a lot more comedy, sort of kind of comedy that you might find in sitcoms mm. rather than in general sort of soaps. So it does have that little bit of extra spark, that little bit of extra humour, which just provides a relief from what you might see on shows like EastEnders or Coronation Street. When, when does it start? I'm assuming production has started. Oh, yeah, production started. We're sort of working around the clock, you know, get, uh, trying to make the absolute best episodes as possible. The show's actually going to be airing um, from Monday the 7th uh, at 6.30 on uh, Sky Digital Channel 789. 
Right, okay. And listen, the last Bollywood film that I saw <laughs> was Nasib, which, right. which was like, you know, that's like 30 years old or something. <laughs> yep. uh, so I, I, I'm assuming Bollywood has kind of taken a few steps forward since Nasib, has it? it? It really has, you know. I mean, um, you know, back then it was sort of very, it still is some of the films, very, very sort of dramatic, uh, melodramatic in, in many senses. You know, a guy would be punched and he'll go flying through about seven walls and, and you know, the hero could lift the car over his head and then all of a sudden they'll be on a sand dune somewhere having a song. But, but <laughs> I love all that, though. It, it, it is. You know, no, they still have that in a lot of films. It's great. But then a lot of sort of um, actors and directors and producers out in Bollywood are making it still with the Bollywood touches. You know, they still have the, the, the songs thrown in and the dance sequences, but the storylines where everything's told is in a much more modern day contemporary fashion yeah. so it's really sort of branched to between hollywood and bollywood hence why the bollywood film industry is just growing so rapidly in a in a different way and across the world people are more paying attention to bollywood now Cal, can i say something ask you a question that i very rarely ask a gentleman go for it can i sing to you i'd love you to sing <clears throat> i've done this for years okay so okay. excuse me <clears throat> here we go Per desi, per desi, janana he, muje choleke, muje choleke. Huh? That brought a tear to my eye. There we go, um, Kel. I just had to wipe it away. That was uh, uh, unbelievable. Was the pr- pronunciation okay? Uh, perfect. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Kel, listen, I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. There we go. It's uh, Kel Karegi, who is a writer of the new Asian daily soap Cloud9. You can hear more from Kel with clips of the show uh, with Chetan Pathak at Sunday from 6pm on BBC 3CR. And as he said, the show starts Monday, 7th of January, 6.30pm on Zing. <clears throat> and you can have that little bit of singing for free. I surprised you, didn't I? A little bit of singing in Hindi. Oh, yes, I've got, I've got tricks up my sleeve aplenty. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. I'm really hoping there's something in the news bin that could <laughs> fill a couple of minutes because my internet has frozen and I need it. I haven't put anything in the news bin all week. Let's hope that somebody else has because my internet has frozen and I need it to read people's Facebook comments about Miranda and I'm hoping you can fill while the internet okay. fix itself and it... Revelers attending an illegal rave in a Bedfordshire village abandoned their cars and dropped from a flyover bridge down a rope ladder and into a quarry where it was being held a court heard today. Oh, I'll play a uh, the Met Office has revealed that last year was the second wettest on record across the UK. That's the second wettest on record across the UK. That's after 2012 began in the midst of a drought, pr- prompting a hose pipe ban in parts of southern and eastern England. Are you ready yet? Yep. So, oh, cool. <laughs> 459 <laughs> It's a harsh world, Catherine. When I'm ready, I'm ready, OK? But thank you very much for fishing around in the news bit. Uh, Miranda Hart, is she funny? I think she's brilliant. I love it. I love it. It's old-fashioned, and the first time you watch it, you kind of think, oh, this is a bit, bit 80s, but it's funny. Whereas my family was never funny. Right, Miranda is funny, and she's a really nice person as well. And I think she's brilliant, OK? The backlash has started. The mail. I so want to love Miranda, but her show just isn't funny anymore. We've been asking all morning, do you think she's funny? Uh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Some of you have uh, gone to the Facebook page and discussing it there. Gary Lester says, annoying. Gerard White, her mum, Patricia Hodge, is funnier in the show. Miranda was, Miranda was funnier in not going out with Lee Mack. She was brilliant in that. Carol Pearson, no. Uh, Andy Stevens says, well funny, even better in Bear Grylls. Jenny Witherall, not funny. Paul Harris says, yeah, she's funny. Debbie Cox, yes. And then, then it starts to get a bit personal, OK? Darren Traps. So, 
Ian Lee says Mrs Brown's boys isn't funny and rubbish. This confirms to me Ian is sniffing glue. If I were sniffing glue, it would make Mrs Brown boys seem funny. Mrs Brown's boys is not funny, it's awful. Martina Lavelle Moore, in her critique of uh, Miranda, mildly amusing. <laughs> Colin Abrams, pretty funny. Steve Tomlin, I laugh, so yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, makes, that means it's funny, yeah. I, is it funny? I laugh, so yes. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number uh, if you want to give us a call. Now, you've probably seen the pictures of Manchester City boss Roberto Mancini in a scuffle with his striker Mario Balotelli, the football idiot who's fast becoming my hero after I discovered he's got a camouflage Bentley. When would you ever be dis- driving a Bentley through the forest? And he lets off fireworks in his house. <laughs> Anyway, there's been pictures of these two having a bit of a bit of argy-bargy on the back pages of some of the papers today. It's got to be good news for Watford fans, hasn't it? The Hornets play the Premier League champions tomorrow in the FA Cup third round. 6,000 Watford fans are heading to Manchester. We can speak now to Matt Rosen, who writes a blog on the Hornets called Be Happy. He used to write for the Watford website, Be Sad, Blind, Stupid and Desperate. Matt, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. This business involving um, Mancini and Balotelli, they appear to be having a fight. That's got to be good news for you guys, isn't it? It can't hurt, can it? It doesn't suggest a happy camp. I think mean, Mr. Balotelli's got previous, and I'm sure they're, they're used to ructions of this sort. He's not been involved in the first team anyway, but anything that, that um, shakes the apple cart a little bit isn't going isn't to hurt Watford, is it? So, uh, 6,000 fans going up there. Now, it doesn't, uh, listen, I'm not a football person. That doesn't sound a lot to me. Is that, is that a big deal for Watford? It is a big deal, yeah. You don't... You would normally... A match in that sort of area would be lucky to get a thousand supporters right. up there, like travelling supporters, but, but six thousand certainly a big a big travelling contingent. And why fans. is this? Explain to me why this, this match is so important. It's a cup tie, so Watford wouldn't normally be playing um, teams of this uh, stature. Manchester City are the league champions. And the other factor is that because it's a cup tie, the rules are slightly different. So normally you go to an away ground and you get given a, a corner with the, with the worst view. And, and you, even, even if you wanted to take 6,000 fans, you wouldn't be given that many tickets. Right. But for the FA Cup, they have to give you a quarter of the ground if, it's, if the police don't object. Um, and, and that's why we've got so many tickets and that's why we were able to take so many supporters on this occasion. Uh, do Watford really stand a chance? A, a chance, yes. Um... Uh, is it probable that we'll win? No, um, but that's why it's so exciting. You know, if it was, if outcomes were certain, then no one would watch it, would they? So yes, we have a chance. No, it's not. Uh, it's, it's far from a guaranteed um, outcome. Um, but it's Watford are playing well enough and scoring enough goals to to, to make it a, a realistic possibility. Yes. And so, what what time are you going up? What's your plan? Uh, my plan is to be at a friend's fortieth, so I will not be at the game. Excuse me, what? Yes. It's the biggest game in the club's history, and you're not going, Matt. The uh, biggest game in the club's history might be overstating it, but yes, I'm, I'm, it's the first game of this magnitude that I've missed. Is, is that, is, no, listen, you say it's a friend's 40th. Yes. H- how close is this friend? Uh, he's a good friend. Oh, OK. So is it, is it your decision not to go to the football? It is my decision, yes. H- how do you feel about it? Uh, um, resentful at television companies for not <laughs> making the decision yeah. rather less or removing the decision from my hands yeah. and scheduling up the television so that, so that I could do both. Is that how it works? These matches are scheduled for just, just to fit in with, with Sky or wherever it is that's doing it? Um, the matches are by default at 3 o'clock on a Saturday, as this one is, but right. if whoever, you know, the TV companies that have the licence to show the games will... We'll get picks of games. I think it's I think it's ITV and one other okay. com- one a cable company, and they they cherry pick the ones they want to move into the slots they want to put. 
had they done so, then I would have been able to get to the game, but they didn't. Watford get paid a shed load of money for this as well, don't they? You get paid money for g- progressing in each round, is that right? That's right, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, by, by any normal standards, it's a shed load. By football standards, it's not a vast amount of money yeah. at this stage, but, but, but I think that the revenue from the, from the huge crowd and that sort of thing would probably be greater at this stage, but yes. Um, I, 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 um, you do get money for progressing, that's right. Uh, well, Matt, listen, enjoy the 40th. Thank you. And uh, enjoy the game as well. I hope it goes well. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. It's uh, Matt Rosen there, who is, uh, uh, writes uh, a blog on the Hornets called Be Happy. He's not going to be there! How gutting must that be? He's handling it very well. It's his best mate's 40th. I suggest his mate could have possibly postponed that birthday celebration to, uh, to the Sunday. Couldn't he? He could have done that, surely. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're talking about social media as well. Um, Nick in Hitchin has texted in eight one uh, eight one three double three. Starting his text three CR. I don't have an account on any of those social media sites. Seems to me they are more anti-social sites. If the police need to check them for possible bullying crimes, if you don't want to receive nasty messages, don't go on them. Simple. I don't need to use them. Uh, use them sites. Have real human friends. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. My wife closed her Facebook account recently. I know, and I, I watched in awe and admiration as she did it. And her life seems so much better. I wish I could. <clears throat> the reason I keep my Facebook page and I keep my Twitter is because doing this kind of job, it's, it's quite handy. It's quite handy to be able to go onto, onto Twitter at four in the afternoon and say, we're looking for a guest um, that, uh, that hates newspapers. Could you get in touch? Or, hey, I'm going to be on Channel 5 on Sunday night. You might want to watch it. Or, I'm doing this gig next Tuesday. Who wants to come? It's kind of quite handy for that. And the thought... I've got 34,000 followers on Twitter. And the thought of losing that audience um, in this business, it's a little bit silly. I wish I could. I wish I could. Uh, I use it less and less. And Facebook, again, I've got some Facebook pages. We, you know, we've got the Facebook page for three counties on there and uh, my own kind of uh, public Facebook page on there. Uh, so, yeah. But my private Facebook page is private. It's private. It's just friends and family. I think I've got, like, 70 friends on there. No one can see it. No one can come and have a look at it. And uh, up yours, Delors. Let's have a look at the rest of the front pages, shall we? The Times, Kanye and Kim by Caitlin. Ah, Kanye and Kim. That's Kim Kardashian. I know, I, I still don't really know who she is. The Secret War, Saudi jets join US drones in Yemen campaign. Uh, and Labour plans pension raid to support the jobless. A £1 billion raid on the pension perks of the wealthy would be used by Labour to guarantee jobs for 130,000 adults out of work. And there's a picture. Zoos are doing their stock takes. How hard is it to know how many animals you've got in a zoo? London Zoo are doing it here. I know that some of the zoos around here are doing it, and we were looking at doing it as a story. I'm not a fan of zoos. I don't like zoos. I think they're bad places. I don't really, I don't really enjoy zoos. I think they're a little bit cruel, aren't they? You go to somewhere like Monkey World in Dorset, which is the most amazing place in the world. Right? It's wonderful, wonderful world, but a place where the monkeys and gorillas and chimpanzees they've got masses of space to roam around in then you go somewhere like a zoo you see a monkey in a cage in a zoo really oh my goodness gracious me monkeys in a zoo uh, let's have a quick look at the guardian then we'll uh, we'll look at the rest later on parents disputes put gps in crossfire doctors concerned at requests for children's medical records after family breakups uh, and um 
Oh my goodness gracious me. What what is that? What on earth is that? It's a frog or something. That's disgusting. Again, it's another thing about London Zoo doing their animal count. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, 08459-455-555. How funny is Miranda Hart? The Radio Times described her as comedy marmite, and it seems the backlash in the press is now beginning. Well, Paul B. Edwards has been doing stand-up for over 20 years, and it's from Letchworth. Morning, Paul! Good morning to you. Yeah, you. Now, you know what funny is? Yeah, I mean... Is I, it Miranda? I should have woken up in a minute. I've got my show in itches tonight. I've only been in bed for three hours. Oh, for I'm goodness sakes, man up! People. Man up, Paul! <laughs> go and have a cigarette and a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, that was the plan. Yes. Um, look, uh, I, I think she's more of a comic actress than a stand-up comic, isn't she? And she's been doing serious actressy stuff, hasn't she? Now she did that, um, um, that called the midwife thing. Yeah. So she's sort of going away. I think it's. A, I don't know why they. I, I think they're just looking for a target when there's not a lot of news about or something. Because she's the thing is she's been re- she was kind of like the underdog and then she was really really popular and now everyone's going well actually yeah. I don't think she's that good I well, think she's brilliant it's, it's like proper old well, fashioned sitcom case, then she is comedy marmite if you think she's fantastic yeah. she's comedy marmite because she never made me laugh right but it's subjective isn't it comedy that's the whole point it, aren't, aren't all comics marmite really I think they are aren't they yeah and I think as well that I think. To be perfectly honest, I think that women get a hard time of it as stand-up comedies. I think people are looking to say, oh, they're not funny, or, oh, they split a room, or whatever. And I think I think she's in the same boat as every other stand-up comic, which is, some people find them funny, some people don't. One of the greatest examples of the comedy Marmite is uh, Jerry Sadowitz. Absolutely. Who is, is wonderful, but I've, I've never seen so many people get up and walk out of a room in the middle of a set, and I've seen them a few times, and I love it. Well, but don't you think that they want to stand up out of the room and walk yeah. out, so they can say they've walked out of a Jerry Sadowitz? Thing? Yeah, of course. And they're the people that shouldn't be in the crowd anyway, exactly the same way that people that don't think Miranda Hart's funny shouldn't watch her. What, what do you like? What, the, the sitcoms are a dangerous ground because people always think of, of, of uh, Tosh like my family and things like that. What kind of programmes do well, you find funny, Paul? Well, the thing is, I think they work better on TV than stand-up comedy does. Yeah. So, I think I don't enjoy watching stand-up comedy on the TV. I think it should be in a club environment. Like it might get your hitches tonight. And, but I do... You can get the plug. Paul, get the plug in. Go on, give <laughs> us the plug. Best. But um, I do think that... Um, uh, you're always going to. There's a new sitcom on now called Heaven. Yeah. That the, the, a friend of mine uh, wrote or co-wrote, and I watched it the other night. And even though he's a friend of mine, and I think he's hilarious on stage, I'm not warming to it. It's taken me a while to. But a lot of people I know are absolutely loving it. How do you, have you told your friend that? Of course not. Yeah, that, that's. Well, the, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of giving it away now. <laughs> he's listening. <laughs> that's the thing. I've I've seen programs that my friends have done, and I've gone. Yeah, that was a fun show. I really enjoyed it. It's interesting. Well, you know, there are aspects of the 11 o'clock show I used to really like him. <laughs> yeah, the Ricky Gervais <laughs> and Ali G. Yeah, me no, too. You know, I think, I think, I think, I might have written you a joke. <laughs> you probably did. Did you get paid for it? <laughs> yeah, I think mean, you got about 11 quid or It was something, something like that. <laughs> people used to, people, this is a show I did years ago, people would fax in, ago. fax in jokes, and we'd go through it, and yeah, you get sent like about but 8 the, or 9 quid, I, I mean, think. But, but the thing is, look at that show. Look at, look at how many... People in the press criticised that show, and look at how many people out of that show did well out of it. Yeah, well, I, 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 I wasn't one of them. Paul, give well, us a, give us a plug for your website so people can find out what you're up to. Lastminutecomedy.com. Beautiful, Paul. Lovely to speak to you, Paul B. Edwards. Next time we get you on, we'll have you a bit longer, please, if we can. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I remember the eleven o'clock show. 
used to like that. Bits of it. Morning, this is Ian Lee. It's 7.49. It's Friday. Oh, it's the freaking weekend, baby. I'm about to have me some fun, to quote R. Kelly. Uh, St Albans Crown Court jailed the lowest proportion of offenders who've committed robberies in the whole of the UK. According to research carried out by Conservative MP Philip Davies, only 57% of people were handed a custodial sentence. However, in Aylesbury, judges come down very hard on sex offenders, with 94% of them being given a custodial sentence. Why is there this seemingly postcode lottery in sentencing? Well, Jeremy Dean is a criminal defence barrister and joins me now. Morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Why are the sentences so different from place to place? Well, first of all, what I'd say is that the two types of offences you've just referred to are very different. Um, Robbery and sex offences, and sex offences cover a whole range of offences as a category in themselves. So um, this analysis is not comparing like with like. Well, let me, let me, just, let me just do it then, because you're right. That, that introduction, I think, is, is written in a slightly misleading way. The, the, the sex, uh, uh, sexual assault uh, in Aylesbury, 94% of them given a custodial sentence. In Salisbury, only 37.5% go to jail. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, obviously, I, I can't comment specifically on the sentencing policy of those individual courts, but the first point I'd make is that the Sentencing Council was set up several years ago to dictate consistency in sentencing where humanly possible. So sentencing policy um, is treated very seriously and the courts are required to do their human best to sentence consistently. Um, But obviously if if a particular type of offence is perhaps more prevalent in a geographical area than it is in another geographical area, then judges do have discretion to clamp down on that type of offence, and that could well be the route to understanding discrepancy in sentencing. Oh, that's interesting. So there could be more sexual offences happening in Aylesbury, so to try and send more of a message... More people are being given custodial sentences. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, judges, judges sentence for good reason. Mm. Judges who sentence in sexual assault cases are experienced judges because only experienced judges are permitted to sentence in that type of case. And they will undoubtedly take into account the prevalence of the offence, um, you know, the question of deterrence, the need for deterrence, that type of consideration. So what might appear to be an interesting analysis at face value probably doesn't stand up to scrutiny when looked at, you know, um, on the particular facts of, of the circumstances. How, th- obviously there must be guidelines on sentencing. How, uh, is, is there a book that, that tells you what each crime should possibly get? How does it work? <laughs> there, there is a book. Um, yeah, there, I mean, the reality is, Ian, as you say, it's a book, but it's, it's a big book, um, and it has many chapters to it. And essentially... For almost every type of offence these days, and certainly for all um, medium to serious range offences, judges are presented with guidelines which tell them which criteria to take into account, Mm. what level of, of sentence to aim at, what aggravating features there are, what mitigating features there are, and so the judge has a road map, and it's, it, it, that's exactly the type of material which is designed to dictate consistency in sentencing. My greatest fear, Jeremy, and it has been since I was a child, I don't know why I'm confessing this to you, I would hate to go to prison for a murder I didn't commit. How likely is that to happen? <laughs> 
Um, well, I think probably you share with most of the population the fear of being convicted of murder, which, you know, one hasn't committed. Uh, how likely is that to happen? Uh, provided you have a good defence barrister, very, very slim chance. OK. Can, can I keep your number on record, just in case? Uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll bear you in mind if I have uh, t- uh, space in my diary. <laughs> Jeremy Dean, thank you very much indeed for being a good sport. I remember being really young, uh, like about five and having nightmares of being sent... Imagine being five and having nightmares of being sent to prison for a murder you didn't commit. I didn't commit the murder. And the thing is, you, you go, if you ever go to prison, I haven't, but I've seen it on, on um, uh, films with Burt Reynolds and things, is that everybody in prison says they're innocent. So you'd be in prison going round, sharing a, 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 a cell with a guy named Bubba. It would be in America for some reason I'd be sentenced. Sharing a cell with a guy named Bubba who wants to have all kinds of um, knowledge of me, int- all intimate. And I'd be going, but Bubba... I didn't kill him. Yeah, okay, everyone says that in here. No, 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 I didn't kill him, Bubba. Yeah, everyone says that. That must be my worst fear. I know, that there must be, <laughs> there must be something in that. I don't know what it would be, but there must be something. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Maybe you're a psychologist who can help me overcome this fear. I still get that nightmare sometimes of, of being in prison. I haven't committed a murder. I've never committed a murder. You have got no evidence. But supposing they had the evidence. This is what I'm worried about. That they suddenly... My my fingerprint was on the knife. Right? And I didn't have an alibi. I wouldn't have an alibi. Because I don't really do anything. I'd be at home playing Xbox. But no one could prove that. Do you see my point now? This is why it's so worrying. Genuinely worrying. Oh, I've started all that anxiety again now. Now, this morning, we've been asking you the important question. Do you find Miranda Hart funny? I think she's brilliant, right? and I think it's a proper old-fashioned sitcom um, with a charm and a wit and gags, OK? My family was an old-fashioned sitcom, but it was rubbish. It was fat, it was lazy, it was, it was playing to the, 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 the lowest common denominator. I, uh, Miranda does that to a certain extent, but I just got it. it's got something about it. The backlash had started in the newspapers, so we sent out our reporter, uh, Jane Killick, to find out what you think. Jane, whereabouts are you, and what have people been saying? I'm in Toddington Services, where I've met a few people who are sitting down having a coffee before they go north on the M1. I tried really hard, Ian, especially for you, to find some people who really hate Miranda Hart. Unfortunately, no luck, I'm afraid. Everybody loves her. (laughs) They all think she's funny. Mm. Um, I spoke to one chap, John, who said, it's just the stuff that they're saying in the papers. You can't believe everything you read in the papers. He read the article in the Daily Telegraph the other day, just thought it was a load of rubbish because he thinks Miranda Hart is funny. The best I could do for you is these two. This is Richard and Barry. Hey, when I asked you about Miranda Hart, what did you say? Yeah, I think I said, who's she? Exactly. But I showed you a picture and you know who she is now? Uh, yes, the midwife. Yeah, you watch her in the midwife. Not seen her comedy show at all? No. Have you seen the trailers? Does it interest you? No. Why not? Well, I can't say, really. It just doesn't. Because a lot of people are now saying, oh, it's just slapstick humour, it's the same old thing. Are you not a fan of slapstick humour? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Your friend over here is, though. You like Miranda Hart, don't you? Yes, yeah, I do like Miranda Hart, yeah. And I am a fan of slapstick humour. Is that why you like it? Uh, Yeah, that that old-fashioned style of uh, uh, humour is, you know, always funny. Always has been. I think it always will be. It's like in fishing, really. Very similar. In fishing? <laughs> it's like in fishing, slapstick, yeah. <laughs> We're going fishing, I'm sorry. We're just about to go fly fishing. You're going fishing? Yes. Wow, where are you going? Derbyshire. Derbyshire. I'm getting off the point here. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda Hart, 
you say she's funny, you love slapstick humour. A lot of yeah. people saying it's getting a bit old now, she's in her second series and she's doing the same old thing. Um, I suppose you could say that to a degree, but the, the thing is for her now to rework it a bit and come up with something a bit, uh, uh, you know, more novel. But uh, I'm sure she will. How long has she been doing it? You know, quite a few years now, hasn't it? She's, she's a well-recognised and she's well-loved by the public generally. Yeah. Uh, she, she's, you know, well-liked. So all this backlash saying, oh, she's had it, it's, it's all rubbish then? I think, I think you'll find that the people that like her outweigh the people that don't, really. There you are. That's the final word from the people in Toddington Services. Can't find anyone who really dislikes her. They all agree with you, Ian. She's great. Jane, thank you very much indeed. Uh, 08459. You've got an hour. If you want to give us a call, an hour. If you really dislike Miranda. I don't think she is even Marmite. I think she's, um, like cheddar cheese. Everyone likes cheddar cheese, don't they? Apart from my wife. So, yeah, in that respect, Miranda is cheddar cheese. Everyone likes her, apart from my wife. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call on that or any of the other things uh, that we're talking about this morning, uh, you can text as well eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR or and the, the Facebook page been a bit quiet today. Oh, it's all kicked off again. It's all kicked off again. And thank you for that. Facebook.com forward slash BBC. 3CR. Uh, you can go on there and have a little bit... People are starting to get feisty on there. Don't be rude. No name-calling. We don't want anything as nasty as that. But go on there. Certainly have a little argument with the other listeners. It's good sport. A 51-year-old man has become the first person in the UK to be given a hand transplant. Mark Carhill from Halifax lost the use of his right hand after complications from gout. He was given a donor hand in an eight-hour operation at Leeds General Infirmary. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. I wondered where you were going with that, that uh, hand story where do you want me to go not where i thought you were going right you know well, i'm I mean? glad yeah you hesitated and i thought oh dear thanks <laughs> just i heard something else in my head that's all and it's, it's been a long week it's the weekend i've got a nice weekend mr maker and pantomime st albans tomorrow lovely very nice might treat ourselves to a little bit of lunch over there as well. And then, um, oh, Big Brother, isn't it? Big Brother, Big Brother. Did you, did you watch it last night? Not the greatest lineup. Toadfish. It comes to something. Uh, your cup's about to fall off that table, by the way. It comes to something where. <laughs> where not you at home. Hey, maybe if it, if it is you at home, then wow, but it was Laura next door. Uh, it comes to something when the biggest star in Celebrity Big Brother is Toadfish. Uh, but I'm looking for... I'm a big fan of Big Brother. I do enjoy it. It's one of my guilty, dirty little pleasures. I know it's fashionable to knock it, but I'm going to be watching it later on. I enjoy it. Bit of toadfish. Bit of calf from EastEnders. Bit of some other people. I don't quite know who they are, but I'll find out. Lots coming up on the last hour of the show before David Priva uh, is in at nine, including BBC Three Counties uh, investigates and finds a big increase in the number of crimes linked to social media in Bedfordshire. Why preparations for the Rio Olympics are already beginning for future sports stars from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. And if you want a good night's sleep, just let the baby cry. That's according to the latest research. Is that cruel or is it sensible? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
social media, good or bad, hero or villain? Well, figures sourced by BBC Three Counties show that there's been a marked increase in crimes linked to social media sites in the past four years in Bedfordshire. In 2008, there were only seven instances concerning both Facebook and Twitter reported to the police. In 2012, it had increased to 149. On the other hand, it can also be used to harness public support. In recent weeks alone, both Twitter and Facebook have been used to search for missing people, such as Stansted Abbott's, uh, Stansted Abbott's Gwyn Morris and Luton's Ed Gillespie. Well, David Banks is a media consultant who also co-wrote McNay's Essential Law for Journalists. Morning, David. Good morning. What, what makes a social networking crime? Well, I think the, the police are defining it pretty widely when, they, when they've just sort of collated these figures. They, they've basically put together figures where Facebook or Twitter formed any sort of central part of the complaint being made. So it covers an awful lot of crimes from, um, you know, things like fraud and stuff like that to um, the, the kind of stuff we're seeing talked about in the media more nowadays, like things like abusive messages and stalking and har- harassment and things like that. It's weird, is it? Are we a bit too sensitive when it comes to uh, abusive messages on Twitter, or do we have a right to take them seriously as threats? Well, I, I think that this is this is part of the problem of this this, this emerging area of crime is that um, you know some some of us are concerned it's being a bit widely defined, mm. and that we're, we're we're creating a law almost that people aren't allowed to have their feelings hurt. Um, and I think there's perfectly legitimate times where people make a complaint to the police because they have a genuine fear that they, they, they receive the message and they, they feel that they're in fear of attack or harassment or something like this. And it's part of a pattern of behaviour that's, that's happened to them. And, and that's, you can see that that's absolutely fine. These people deserve uh, the protection of the police. But in other instances, we've had the police intervening where people have put, you know, daft messages on Twitter mm. and they end up being, you know, cautioned by the police in the criminal system for something that, you know, had they said it in, you know, face-to-face to someone in a pub, it would never have gone anywhere. Because in a face-to-face situation, the victim kind of gets the, the context and the tone mm. of voice in which something's being said, and it doesn't create the same sort of fear and reaction. So there is a real problem there about how people react to these, uh, these messages. It's in, it is interesting, because I have had kind of both extremes. I've had people threatening to shoot me and, and do horrible things to my kids, and I Ooh. did report that to the police, because uh, it was an ongoing thing. But also people saying, oh, your show's rubbish, and you're a has-been, and you're an idiot. Now, those ones, you, you, you do sometimes see people reporting things like that. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a waste of police time. Mm. And I think the, DP, the, D, the DPP has tried to issue some guidance to, to prosecutors and the police recently. That's the Director of Public Prosecutions, to say, um, you know, this is where you should be investigating and prosecuting. So trying to set a higher bar for the, for the investigating authorities, for the police and the Crown Prosecution Service to say, OK, certain number of things you need to be just not really dealing with because they're, they're you know, part and parcel of life. But when it gets to sort of really serious um, um, situations where people are in fear of attack, you know, you, you should be stepping in and, and investigating and, and uh, bringing people before the courts for those situations. People still think that Twitter is, is private, don't they? The, 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 they don't realise it's, it's in the public domain. But absolutely. P- people think that Twitter, and that's part of the beauty of these things. They think it, it's like a, a conversation in a pub with a million people, mm. possibly. Um, but 
what you're doing on Twitter and Facebook is publication, and it's, it's subject to the same rules as newspapers and broadcasters, and you know anyone putting people putting material out into the public domain. You know, the, the serious laws you can you can get into trouble with, uh, as we saw with the Lord McAlpine situation mm. before Christmas. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble just just by pushing the retweet button. And what what are the because Twitter's based in California? Am I right in thinking that if if the if the the local police from the Bedfordshire police went to California, well, you know, got in touch with Twitter and said, "Look, one of your users is being really threatening to this radio presenter. Give us his email address and his details." Twitter don't have to, do they? What, what Twitter said is they'll comply with the laws of the countries that they that they operate in. Right, uh, and so you, you're right; they are a U.S.-based company, but. Um, if if a situation arises where um, you know the, the prosecuting authorities, the police need to find the identity of someone, they can get a court order in this country. They can go to California. They can serve that order on Twitter, and Twitter will comply with the orders obtained. And so the identities of people people might think they're being anonymous, mm. but they you know their computer leaves a footprint everywhere, and Twitter will give that information in many circumstances, as will Facebook. Um, so that, you know, people committing criminal offences using those services can be tracked down. Uh, David, it's fascinating. Thank you very much. David uh, Banks, media consultant, also co-wrote McNay's Essential Law for Journalists. Well, David Prever is in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith today, and this morning he's asking, is dealing with online abuse a good use of police time? It's interesting, isn't it? There are, there are the extremes. I have had a, con- a concerted hate campaign against me by some idiot. Well, for ages now. Really horrible stuff. The horrible stuff about me, ah, I can kind of handle it. Horrible stuff about my wife and my kids. That's when it got a little bit, and when I got the police involved. Um, but then you do get idiots as well. You say, oh, you're rubbish, you're an idiot, and you look ugly. And those people, I, sometimes I engage in a little argument with them for some sport. But more often than not, I block them. And then they go, why has Ian Lee blocked me? I've, what, what have I done? Well, you've been rude. I don't, I don't want rude messages appearing on my telephone, so I'll block you. I'll block you without any uh, prejudice. Well, uh, uh, so listen to David Prever at 9 o'clock. He's asking, uh, is dealing with online abuse a good use of police time? You can get in touch with him now, if you want to, by emailing jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Uh, Miranda Hart, is she funny? There's an article in the mail today that says, no, she's not. And it's the third article I've seen in the last week or so that's kind of said, well, actually, I don't think she's very funny. The backlash has begun. Dennis is in Dunstable. Dennis, is Miranda funny? She's absolutely great. She's brilliant, she, isn't she? She only has to stand up and I start laughing. And as for the mail, I get the mail every day. I'm going to stop buying the mail if they say that about her. Well, they've said it about her, page right, 15, well, a whole page. I shall, I shall stop the mail. I shall buy another funny paper. Yeah, I feel that's but a small victory see, for, for decency, all yes. Business, all all uh, this comedy is subjective. Yeah. I mean, I love Miranda, yeah. and I'd say I would, I'd rub her all over with with Marmite. Sorry? And they could clean, in your case, you uh, don't like uh, my family. Uh, sorry, I've just been so a little bit nauseous. So my pot of Marmite. I don't mind your family, but uh, you, 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 you seem quite, quite nice. Oh, you mean the television show? Yes. It's awful. My family, yes, they're great. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're my family. I, I can tell you this, Dennis. Yeah. The results have just come back from the laboratory. Hang on a second. Yep. And it's been proved my family was never funny. Oh. Huh? Who said that? Everyone. 
Well, that's funny, cos I'm, well, I'm not everyone. I'm, I'm not, I'm no greater than anybody else. But, but my me, family was funny once when Chris Marshall was in it. Uh, well, yeah, I must admit, it yeah. has gone down the, the, down the tube a little bit, but nevertheless, I, I could still see it amusing, actually. Mrs, Mrs. Brown's boys? Oh, absolutely hilarious. Oh, Dennis! I've gone yeah. right off you! No, don't forget, I spent seven years in the Navy, and the language she uses is yeah. quite mild to other language we use. Yes, I bet, I'm going to so, keep it clean. No, honestly, I think it's hilarious, I think. For a, a chat, he's a very. Hang on, sh- Dennis, Den- Dennis, shh, shh. Sh- Sorry. Sh- Hello. What's going on in the background? Absolutely nothing. I heard something. Well, I don't know. He must have. It, it was either a cat or you dropped something. Oh, I'll tell you what it is. It's my chair. When I swing it around, it squeaks. Go on, go on, go on. Swing, <laughs> swing, swing the chair around. Go on. It's not squeaking now. It's, it's, you've insulted it. BBC Three Counties Radio, the first for news. <laughs> Dennis, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Dennis and his squeaky chair. Uh, but th- I, I will not, I will not um, allow people to come on and say that my family was funny. It was, it, there were three gags in it once uh, when Chris Marshall was in it, way back at the beginning. But it went on for like 15 series. And it got, you know, it would get like 11, 12, 13 million viewers, which is incredible. But he's right, comedy is subjective. Uh, and if you want to see subjective comedy at its peak, go and see Jerry Sadowitz live. Oh, he's wonderful. You won't like him. You'll walk out. I've never seen so many people walk out of a gig as a Jerry Sadowitz gig. And it's, it's a joy to see. It's, it, it's, uh, it's filth. It's absolute filth. We can never get him on this show, which is a shame, because I think he's, he's brilliant. He's also a lovely bloke as well, as a lot of these people are. 08459 455555. Five. Hey, I, I've said this before. Another thing that's not funny? Only Fools and Horses. It's terrible. Seriously, awful programme. All right, Dale boy. Thank you. Uh, David Prever uh, filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Nice to see you. And you too. If, you, got... want to, if, you, want a baby, if you want a good night's sleep, just nudge your wife in the back when the baby cries. Yeah, yeah, I've done... Phrase the question differently. I, I don't even... I've, I've done the thing, and I, I do it now where I, I pretend I'm a really heavy sleeper. Of course yes, I, I do that, pretending crying. to be asleep. But I'm like, uh... Yes. When she's coming back, I'm like, what happened? What happened? Did something happen? okay, yeah. You should have got me. You should... Why didn't you ask me? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you should have asked Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> You've got another week of this nonsense, haven't you? Yeah. Yes! Are you enjoying it? Loving it. He's not coming back. Oof. No way changing the locks on this <laughs> Lock one. Lock the doors! Lock the doors! I, I'll be honest, Jonathan. I've seen pictures on Facebook of Jonathan. He's having far too nice a time. Yes, why can't he stay there? <laughs> there must be a station in Argentina he can work on. There must be. Good morning, Buenos Aires! What's on your show today? It's a good one, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the stuff you've been talking about is dealing with online abu- uh, abuse, a good use of police time. Uh, as you were just saying, accounts of online abuse have gone up by over 700% mm. in four years. And that's just your account. Yeah, I know, alone, exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. The question is, where does free speech end and abusive behaviour begin? Is this just harmless banter and we should treat it that way? You can turn off your screen after all. Or should uh, the online world be treated in the same way as the offline world? I would argue that abuse is abuse is abuse wherever it takes place and the police should deal with it. And free... I, I love having the dis- discussion on phoning shows about free speech. People say, oh, well, I've got free speech. No, you won't. Yeah. You certainly haven't got it here on the BBC. You haven't yeah. got it on any radio station in this, this country. There yeah. are certain things, swears and libel, that you can't say. So free speech is, is a myth, really. It's, it is a myth. Uh, so that, that's the big question. Are you happy that the police are spending time monitoring all these social networks rather than uh, out solving burglaries and uh, other perhaps far more important crimes? 08459 455 555 after 9 o'clock. And Jerry Sadovich is not funny. Oh, not David funny. Fever, take your girly cup and get out <laughs> of my studio, for goodness sakes. Thank you very much. Ta-ta. 
on FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Hey, is your child crying? Ah, just leave him. Well, that's what psychologists are saying to do if you want a good night's sleep. Professors at Temple University say leaving babies to cry teaches them to self-soothe and settle themselves to sleep on their own, which also gives frazzled parents uh, a break. Well, Carly Smith is the editor of her own parenting magazine called Elite. Morning, Carly. Good morning. That, that, what, they don't, what they don't make clear in this uh, report that I've seen anyway is the age of the baby, because with very, very young babies, it's actually quite dangerous, isn't it, to leave them crying? Well, I would have thought so. Um, my little girl's 18 months now, yeah. and um, with her being my first, it wasn't something I could have done. No. Um, just due to the fact that every time she cried, it made my heart break. Yeah. You know, I thought, oh, I've done something wrong. Is there something wrong with her? Um, however, she is 18 months now, and she does still wake up in the night for a bottle. Yeah. Um, so she is very dependent on me. So looking back, I do think it's something I should have maybe done a, a little bit more. It, it, it is hard, and I think it is harder for mums, because we've, we've got two boys, and uh, the, I think it's easier for dads to kind yeah. of let them cry and let them get on with it. And my wife was trying to explain this kind of, this, this bond that is there that is different, and the crying kind of feels different to her than it does to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, you kind of get like a, a chill down your spine every time they do it. I think it's maybe the connection from carrying the baby yeah. that you think, oh, I should, I sh- you should automatically know what the cry is, and you should automatically know what they want. So kind of leaving them to cry, you're thinking, well, but maybe it's that, maybe it's this. When maybe so now, as Ada's 18 months, I kind of know the difference between a I just want what I want cry and she's poorly or she needs something. So are you you letting her cry now? Is this to get her to sleep through the night? So it's, it's a lot harder now, though, because she can say words. So in the night, we're trying to leave her to cry so she doesn't have a bottle. Yep. But it's now, bok, bok, mama, bok, bok, mama. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot harder. She wants a bok, bok. Yeah, exactly. We it's all not, do. So, yeah, so you give her a dummy. She doesn't want a dummy. I yeah. want my bok, bok. <laughs> so, really, with hindsight, I maybe should have tried this a bit earlier on, and it wouldn't have been as hard. Carly, Carly I've done this. It works. Yeah. Stick with it, girlfriend. I know. How are you? <laughs> how are you doing it? Tell me how you're doing it. Well, we're tra- I'm trying to kind of in the bath before she goes to bed. Yep. Um, Routine is good. Routine is good. Exactly. Read her a story rather than putting a DVD on because it's so much easier. Yeah. To oh, read her a story. And... No DVDs. No DVDs. The stories all the time. Exactly. And then kind of just put, because another thing that we do is Ada's still in our room. She's in a bed next to our bed, which is ridiculous. <gasps> oh, I know. I no. know. She can, she can see you, can she? Yes. Okay. You've, that's not brilliant. Right. I know. Uh, and what are you doing? You're then, like, look at me talking like I'm an expert. I don't know. Uh, then you're, you're kind of like lying her down and letting yeah. her set get herself to sleep yeah but I, i'm laying in the bed next to her okay so i need to kind of get that separation yeah and go right ada it's bedtime now get yeah. in because i'm currently pregnant with my second child oh. and you know oh. with one <laughs> fine. with two yeah. what we're gonna do and the, the way we were taught to do it and it yeah. worked with both our boys eventually yeah. was uh, and we were lucky they're in they're not in our room uh, right. is um let them cry for five minutes yeah Go in, don't pick them up. No. Just gently pat them on the back and say, there, there, get them to lie down again and walk yep. straight out. Yeah. Let them cry for 10 minutes. Yeah. Go in, do the same thing, come out, let them cry for 15 minutes. Yep. And eventually, and I, honestly, Carly, if you can do it, it works. I know. Both the boys pretty much sleep through now. Yep. It's just kind of getting that, that you go, right, we're going to do it now and we're going to stick with it. Yeah. You, you, I, I'll be honest, though, if she's in the same room, uh, I know. you're kind of screwed. <laughs> no, and the worst thing is she has her own bedroom with her own bed in it. Well, why is she? Well, hang on a minute. Why is she in your room? I think it's just that, that it's 
it's, it's wrong to say, but it's easier for me because it's, right, she's in bed now, she's asleep, but we can get up in the morning and get her up rather than the 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So really, it's, it's wrong from my point of view because I'm doing it because it's easier for me. Carly? Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. Put her in her own room. I'm going to. Do it. <laughs> Honestly, do it. If you do it tonight, where are we Friday? Yeah. I I reckon by ch- if we spoke to you on Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. she would be sleeping through. Okay. If you are strict with it. Yeah. And what's her name? Ada? Ada, yeah. I will do- I, I like it. It's kind of an old-fashioned name, and I like these old-fashioned names that are coming back. Good for you. Thank you. Well done. Good <laughs> When's the second one due? Well, I'm only really early, so it's June, September. Oh, okay. Oh, you've got my ages to go then, yes. Ages. Oh, blah. Well, then, you, then you've got plenty of time to get Ada to sleep through, and it will make life so much easier for the second one. Definitely. Best of luck, Carly. We'll speak to you. Well, well, maybe brilliant. we'll speak to you next week and see how it goes on. William, lovely to speak to you. Thank you very much. Ta-ta. Bye. There we go. Call 08459 455555. 08459 555555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm like Nana Rayburn. I am like Nana Rayburn. Remember her? I've worked with her. Uh, but I am, I've been, except I'm a little bit, I've got, what, what good advice then? What good advice? If anyone is expecting a baby in the near future, I'm your man. <laughs> not, I'm not your man in that respect. That would be inappropriate, but I've got the advice. Miranda, let's move on. Funny or not funny? Uh, Mary's in Hamill. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Do, do you like M- Miranda? Yes. I think it's a nice, gentle humour. Isn't it gentle? Yes. Says, none of this, none of this effing and jeffing, none of no, these sea bombs. No, right. no, no references to to women's bits or the no, queen's backsides. No, none of that. Unfortunately, uh, well, I suppose I'm of an era when comedians, for example, uh, I'm not over over keen on the sitcoms, and in my family, I find so dull. Oh, that isn't it I just? just can't bear to watch it. I'd awful. rather I'd rather watch a stick. But uh, and it makes you wonder the the uh, sort of the type of people who are writing this so-called comedy. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, with the, um, I like comedy, comedy yeah. where people, I know it's old-fashioned, but get up and stay, tell jokes. Yeah. Because how often did you say, or did you, you get somebody says, you hear this joke, and da-da-da, and you're all laughing. Yeah, having a laugh. You can't do any of that mm. now, because nobody does it. Nobody, well, some people, stay there, Mary, because Matt is in Luton. Morning, Matt. Good morning. Do, are, you, are you a fan of Miranda? Uh, I used to be, but I still watch them because she does make me laugh. Yeah. Uh, but she sometimes goes over the top with falling and that type of thing. But, the, no, but you, you're criticising my friend, Mrs. Brown. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Brown's oh. voice. Uh, Mrs. Brown, to me, cheers me up no end. Oh, ham uh, acting. <laughs> eh? That's all that is. It's ham acting. Oh, over the top. God. Yeah, over the top, but over the top, very funny. Oh, I think it's awful. Well, Awful. you're probably a bit of a snob like your friend there. Uh, who's my... What, Ian? Yeah. <laughs> I just think it, she's... Awful. Yeah. Throwing herself about, leaping out of wind. I just... It's pathetic. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, oh. Great comedy, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Not for me at all. And they used to say that about Les Dawson and people like that. Oh, no, no. But, I, I, I mean, you need a little bit of brain power, I should think, mm. to, to watch... Uh, to, to watch uh, Mrs. Brown's boys because I just can't fathom it out at all. It's just, just one crash after another. Yeah, brilliant. No, sorry, pathetic. <laughs> Can we all agree that my family's rubbish? Yes. It was good when uh, the young guy with the... Chris, Mar- right, when Chris Marshall was in it. Yeah, when he was in it, he, he was, was funny. Very good. Yeah. 
Very uh, good. After that, now listen, Mary, you talk about stand-up comedians and stuff. Yes. What about people like Jimmy Carr and Jack Whitehall? Do you like those young men? <laughs> They're all the category of the, of the filth that's coming out today. I want somebody, I know it's, old, as I say, old-fashioned, somebody, say, like Bob Monkhouse or... Oh, wait, hang on a minute. Bob yeah. Monkhouse was filthy. Have you ever seen a Bob Monkhouse live DVD? No, he no, was never filth. seen those. But they're different when they're on those sort of shows. But people who, like, I'm talking about the television appearances, yeah. when they would tell jokes and you'd remember some of them and can, laugh about Mary, them. Mary, can you remember? Day. Mary, can you tell us a joke now? Uh, what did my son tell me one the other day? <laughs> Two women. What was oh, dear, no, I already, can't remember. already I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. But it's, we're laughing and you can't even remember the joke. No, That's how no, good it is. So many memories not so good nowadays. No. It's so many years it, ago since you hear a... How often do you hear a joke now? Well, not right now. Not having no one for a few minutes. Did you watch Ken Doll the other week? No. This I sounds didn't. like the start of a joke. Go, go on, Matt. No, Did I didn't. Ken Doll appearance? No, I didn't. Oh, come on. Man was a joke. genius. Tell us a joke, Tell Matt. Come on. Straight on. No, I'm not going to. I could tell you lots of jokes that are a bit rude. Oh no, we don't want any rude jokes. We've got young no. ears listening. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, Martin Luton, uh, Mary and Hemel, thank you very much indeed. Uh, let's go to Glenn. Morning, Glenn. Morning, Ian. Are you a fan of Miranda? I do like Miranda. Yeah, first time I saw her was when she was on uh, Lead Balloon with Jack D. Oh well, yes, was she was. Yes. The, the uh, he was having that little thing engraved for the Christmas, and uh, she wanted an extra five pound for the extra word. Um. Yeah, I do like it, but your comment on my family and I thought that was awful. Um, and I never liked Only Fools and Horses. Thank you very much, Glenn. Fools and Horses is not no. funny. No, it's not funny at all. The only one I ever watched was the lawnmowers. When he bought the lawnmowers and uh, Del Boy sold uh, the the lad sold him, I can't remember his name, and, and then he bought some more back off them because he thought he'd made some money on them. But did, did you go, it, it sounds like an hilarious premise. Uh, Fools and Horses, and I'm, I'm going to say it, I've said it before, Faulty Towers. Not funny. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Here until nine o'clock. Uh, and then it's David Prever. Lots coming up in the last 30 minutes of the show including the Prime Minister, is expected to make an announcement on improving the standard of care across the NHS. I'll tell you what it is and how you might be affected next. And it's Friday, and we've got into this great little kind of routine of, on Friday, getting some music in. And we've got some cracking stuff. They're upstairs rehearsing at the moment, which is superb. And uh, I'll let you know who it is uh, in a few minutes' time. Now, the Prime Minister is expected to make an announcement on improving the standard of care across the NHS. The friends and family test, where patients and staff are asked if they would recommend the service to a loved one, will be extended to GP surgeries. It will include increasing nurse ward rounds and improvements in training. We can talk now to Janet Davis, Director of Nursing at the Royal College of uh, Nursing. Morning, Janet. Good morning. What are your thoughts on the friends and family test? Uh, well, it's sort of very important that we know what people think about the care they receive. It's something that nurses have done for a long time. And, in fact, we know the majority of hospitals have, do that. And, in fact, in the staff survey, it's been a question for some years. Um, it is very, very important that we focus what we do on the patient and the patient experience. Um, and I guess it goes some way to finding out um, what the current situation is. 
It, uh, these reviews, are they the best way to, to improve services? Because I would imagine that people are more likely to report a bad experience than they are a good experience. Uh, no, that's not really the case, and we know that the majority of people are very satisfied with the care that they, they have. Um, it's, you know, it's over 90%, so we do know that the majority of people are happy, and they're very happy to compliment nurses. Um, what's, I guess, important is that when we know that things are inadequate, that we do something about it. So it's all very well to know uh, that people are unhappy with the care, but we need to know the reasons for that and how we can get it better. What can and people do if they are what can people do if they are unhappy with this? Cause I, I, I've had experiences in hospital where the nursing care has, has been excellent, but also when it's been pretty poor as well. What, what would someone do in that situation? I mean, I think the most important thing is to actually um, make it known that um, it, it's not satisfactory, both originally to the ward sister if it's a hospital, um, and if the ward sister isn't there to talk to you or you feel it is a problem there, then making sure you complain that you actually draw attention to this, to the people in charge of that hospital. Um, it's really important that people have the opportunity to, to, to get it better and also to improve the care the person's receiving, not waiting till after the event when the, the poor care has been, been received. And often the reasons behind it um, might be quite simple to, to rectify. Um, sometimes it's staffing numbers and it's very, very important that people know that this is inadequate and what happens to the patient because of it. Labour says the government should be focusing more on staffing levels of nurses uh, instead of surveys and getting nurses to do more ward rounds. Do you, do you agree with that? I think it's absolutely essential that we've got the right number of nurses and the right resources in the right place. Have we at the um, moment? In actual fact, that is necessary in order to be able to do the ward rounds. Uh, one of the things here is about making sure that every patient every hour has the opportunity um, for um, a check on their care, where they're up to. Obviously, you need to have the right number of nurses to do that, and we know that's not always the case. So we, we don't have the right number of nurses at the moment? In some places we don't. In some places we're seeing that nursing numbers are being cut as the NHS are trying to save money. That has to happen at the same time as this. There's some really good initiatives in the announcement today, such as increased training for healthcare support workers, um, a focus on district nursing so that people can remain in their own home with good support. So there's some really positive things, but it has to go hand in hand with having the right number of staff in order to do these things. David Cameron is also going to announce care makers, these uh, volunteer ambassadors in hospitals and care homes. What, what do you make of that? We're not too sure what these are at the moment, and uh, we, we, we are, we're looking at this, obviously, with some interest. Um, we believe that all nurses are care makers and that all nurses have got their patient's welfare and the patient experience at the heart of what they do. So it'd be very interesting to see what's different about these, these individuals. Uh, you're in, Janet, you're in charge. You've got the complete NHS. You're in charge of all hospitals. What would you do to improve things? There's a number of things, getting the right number of staff in the right place, the right level of education, and actually ensuring that those people in charge of the hospital are focusing on the patient, the patient experience, and that they know what's going on in their clinical areas. Janet Davis, Director of Nursing at the Royal College of Nursing, thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Wowzers. Listen, I, I literally cannot be bothered to walk the minute and a half, 90 second walk from this building to the gym at the back of this building to go and have a look at their swimming pool to see if I fancy signing up to go swimming a couple of times a week. Right? But get this, five of our young future Olympians started a gruelling training programme at six o'clock this morning to get them ready for Rio 2016. That's years away. 
They were selected by a governing body to be part of the 100 athletes taking part in the Youth Sport Trust's National Talent Camp in Loughborough. The camp supports young athletes by preparing them both physically and mentally for hardcore sport. Well, Ben Chapman is from Milton Keynes. He's amongst those selected for this year's camp, and he's on the line now. Morning, Ben. Morning. Have you, have you been up training since six o'clock this morning? Yeah, we have, yeah. Yeah, just got back to having breakfast now. What, what, what uh, are you having for breakfast? Fry, fry up? Um, that is on offer. Is but it? I'm just, going for, I'm just going for the Continental today. Mm, so. Very, very, very nice. Now, wh- wh- <laughs> what is it, what have you done this morning then? Talk us through your training so far today. Pardon? Talk us through your training that you've done today. Can't hear you. Can you hear me, Ben? 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 Hello? No, we've, we seem to have lost Ben there. Either that or he's, he was reminded that the fry-up was available. And he thought, stuff this continental nonsense. Fried slice, hash browns, eggs, beans. Don't. Don't get me started on all of that, for goodness sakes. Imagine that, though, being up at six o'clock to, uh, to train for the Olympics. F- four years away. Uh, well, let's see if we can get Ben back. In the meantime, let's talk more about uh, Miranda on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, April, April Harper says, Not only is she, is she funny, but she's the spitting image of my sister. When she appeared on New Year's Day episode in a police officer uniform, I totally cracked up. My sister is a police officer. April, photo or it didn't happen. Please send us a photo. Uh, Stephen McCarthy Hunt. Not really, no. Um... Nikki Gladish says, I watched Miranda for the first time on Christmas Day because everybody went on about what I was missing. Me and my husband and my daughter sat there... Oh, that's awkward, isn't it? Sat there in silence for the whole time. Can't believe I wasted half an hour of my life. Uh, And Kevin Wright says, rather philosophically, not really my taste, but good job we're not all the same, I suppose. Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) You've uh, really put things into perspective. I think Ben's back. Ben, are you back? Yes, I am. Can you hear me now, Ben? Yes, can, yeah. Excellent stuff. Right. What, what training have you done this morning so far? Uh, we're just doing a bit of, like, circuit training this morning at uh, Loughborough University. And how are you finding it? Are you enjoying it there? Yeah, yeah, it's good, yeah. I uh, arrived yesterday, and uh, a few of like, my other mates from like, around the country that I cycle as well are here as well. And then there's, like, people from all different sports as well, so it's been getting on with them, and, yeah, it's all, it's all good. You're a cyclist, mate. Can I ask, how old are you? I'm 16. You're 16, and you're, you're working towards Rio, is that the plan? Um, yeah, I suppose, like, well, I don't know, because, like, I'm more of a road, a road cyclist, and right. I think, uh, like, with a bit, and, like, with, like, the kind of high quality of cyclists that we have in the UK at the moment, yeah. I think it'll be looking at after Rio, if you know what I mean. But, I, uh, I know what you mean. So yeah, could you, well, hey, uh, listen, here's something, Ben, Bradley Wiggins, right, he gets yeah. a knighthood just for riding through some mountains in France. That can't be right, can it? A knighthood? Well, it's pretty hard. <laughs> oh, I, I bet right. it is. It's like I couldn't do it. But a knighthood? Yeah, I, I think he's a bit kind of like... bit like, doesn't, doesn't really know what to, to say about it, to be yeah. honest. I think it's pretty... Uh, it's, it's just like a bit of an honour, but I'm not sure, really. Ben, oh. how, in, how inspirational did you find the 2012 Olympics? Oh, very. Like, uh like not just in cycling as well I think it was like all sports like even though we did do like very well in cycling yeah. um, I think just for all sports like triathlon like the athletics and like Greg Rutherford I guess from Mount Keynes how long like that. H- how long have you been cycling for? 
Um, so it's about eight years old. You must be tired. It's my favourite, favourite joke. Because he's, he's 16, he says he's been cycling since he was eight. That's eight years. You get it? No. Okay. Uh, and, 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 have you always wanted to be a, prof- a cyclist in the Olympics and, and in the Tour de France and things like that? Is that, is that the aim? Yeah, yeah. Like ever since I was a little kid, I uh, joined my local local like cycling club on um, stabilizers. Yeah, you, you're, <laughs> you're, off, you're off the stabilizers now, aren't you, Ben? Yeah, good. Just about. Just okay, about. <laughs> good, good. Uh, ben, listen, I'm go- I'm going to let you go and have your breakfast. G- a suggestion. Listen, I've I've lived, I've I've known many beautiful people. Ben, may I suggest you go and have that fry up? All right. I'll, uh... Put the, put the Continental to one side, Ben. Go and have the fry-up. <laughs> You'll thank me later. Ben Chapman there, uh, a young cyclist from Milton Keynes, taking part in the Youth Sport Trust's National Talent Camp. Go and have the fry-up, Ben. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We didn't do all of the, all of the, uh, the papers. Should we have a little look? The Daily Mail. Britain's first hand swap op. Eight days ago, Mark Cahill was living with a paralysed right hand. Yesterday, he was able to move his fingers for the first time in five years after becoming the first Briton to receive a hand transplant. The, uh, the Sun has world's ex-fattest man exclusive. Yeah, the world's ex-fattest man. Is that a sentence? World's ex-fattest man. I've lost 46 stone. The world's former fattest man celebrates yesterday after shedding an astonishing 46 stone. Hey, Chihuahua. And the sun hits back at the Argies. Oh, yeah, that's going to help. Yeah, that's going to help things, the sun. Thanks a lot for that. And the Express. Send, uh, spend EU cash on old age care. Cameron must hand Brussels budget to the elderly instead, says senior Tories. And then, look, the Big Brother contestants are in. Should we have a little look? Gillian Tailforth, uh, EastEnder, famous for um, breaking down on a motorway. I like a bit of, bit of, bit of calf from EastEnders. That'd be good. Frankie Dettori, the shamed jockey. Eh, not so keen. Trisha Penrose, best known as Gina in Heartbeat. Right, OK, now we're stretching it a bit. Claire Richards, Claire Richards from Steps? What the heck? What happened to her? Wowzers! Wowzers, OK. Paula Hamilton, the model. Remember her? She was in a car advert. Her clothes fell off. It's not the best. Toadfish! Toadfish is in. Now we're talking. Ryan Maloney. Right, the Toadfish is only 33? No. Uh, Lacey Banghard. Oh, she's from Bedford. Lacey Banghard from Bedford. Local element there. That's not, that is not her real name, is it? I'm told, apparently it is. Apparently Lacey Banghard, the Bedford model. The Bedford model is expecting her name to cause a few laughs. I've had every joke you can think of. I'm used to it and I don't care. Neil Ruddock? Um, who turns up at anything at the drop of a hat. I think he's Jim Davidson's replacement. Sam Robertson, don't know. Spencer, 29, and Heidi, 26. Nope. And Rylan Clark. Nope. Okay. Now, uh, listen, I like like Celebrity Big Brother, and I'm I'm being paid a few shillings to say I like Celebrity Big Brother as well. I'm on Channel 5 on Sunday. Uh, And I do enjoy it, and it will be a cracking watch. Toadfish for the win for me. It's got to be Toadfish, hasn't it? Toadfish Rebecca. Yeah, that's who I want to win. I'll enjoy that. 
We, we may discuss it from time to time, if it's interesting. I do, I do quite enjoy a little bit of that. Good morning, dear listener. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. It's also the number to give uh, David Prever a call. We'll be on after nine o'clock, uh, filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Now, every Friday morning, we kind of like to end the, the week, you know, with a little bit of something a bit uplifting. Are, are you going to be uplifting, by the way? Um, Oi. Yeah. Maybe, like, we, maybe later. A, a, an R moment. Be an R, R, R can be uplifting. <laughs> oh. uh, we, could, we, we like to have a bit of music and just kind of just, uh, you know, all the boring stuff that's going on in the world. So uh, we always film it. We put it on the Facebook page as well. Are you going to be filming this, Kelly Betts? Mm-hmm. Excellent stuff. So joining me now uh, is Doris Brendel. Good morning, Doris. Morning. Uh, and uh, Lee and Emma. Yes, that's us. Hello. We're here. Good morning. Good morning over there. Morning. You're, you're, right, you're, right, you're right down there. That's very nice. Uh, Lee and Emma Dun- Dunham, are you married? We are indeed, yes. Congratulations. How long have you been married for? Oh, that's a question for her, I think. <laughs> How long have you been <laughs> married for? Sort of put me on the spot there. Three years, it's, yeah, it's that kind of three years things kind of gets in the way a little bit. Uh, th- th- you're, you're a little bad. You've got Doris and Lee, we've got on guitar. Uh, Emma, we've got on the cello down there. Uh, th- th- Doris, tell us a little bit about what you do and what your, what's your thing, man? My thing, man? What's your thing, man? <laughs> I'm not that cool. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I've been around... Many many years. <laughs> um, this is the seventh album that we released wow. in July. Um, after various bands started off being signed to Sony, yeah. and yes, there's been a big progression. Okay. Uh, anyone who's interested in that can go to my website www.dorisbrindle.com. Very very nice. And um, what kind of what yeah. kind of stuff is it that you play? Ah, uh, that's a really good question. I think we've kind of got a niche of our own because we're very very eclectic. Mm, so eclectic. loosely we call it progressive pop, but it's it's alternative rock, but... <laughs> Look, you're, you're getting no lost one, in genres now. No, yeah. but no one can categorise it. Nobody can pigeonhole it, and it's become a bit of a trademark. OK. Well, I tell you what, play us a song. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll pigeonhole it for you afterwards. I'll tell you exactly what genre you're playing. Yeah, but only for this song. <laughs> oh, no, you're all over <laughs> the place. Yeah, yeah, if you listen to the album, it's... Yeah, no, this is it. What are you going to play for us now? Uh, we're going to play a nice, romantic, little soft song called Beyond Words. Away you go. Two, three, four. We talked all night yesterday. Watched the sunrise. There was so much to say. Speaking of our lives I felt so close Such contentment The time was just right Just the right moment But when I tried to tell you How much I want you Oh, I came out with something really stupid Beyond words, beyond sights, beyond anything I can think to say. It's not right. I shine blind to the way I feel today. Sometimes when I see you smile, your warmth turns me out to stone. Just ignore what she heard. It's beyond words.
things become slightly strange. I feel so awkward. You said that I'm cold. It shouldn't be this high. I try again to take you in my arms. fancy chords at the end that was fantastic <laughs> what a relief that was brilliant i tell you why because sometimes you do think when people come in you think well i wonder if they're gonna be any good that was wonderful <laughs> i love that that was that was country folk pop that that genre country folk pop yeah in the style of the dixie chicks I like that yeah that well, that works doesn't it <laughs> it could be a pop rock ballad yeah see oh um, yeah it yeah. was it was the cello and his guitar that they were the kind of things that gave it the country folk elements to but it this is it is kind of a obviously the acoustic version and yes. it's not an acoustic album so some songs lend themselves very well are you to normally uh, are you normally rocking on the no, album? it's a bit of everything yeah. i mean we have piano we have um, i mean we've been doing quite a lot of acoustic gigs because it's it's quite fun to yeah. sort of scale things down we have a double bass player, but we didn't, we didn't have our biggest studio. Oh, it's, it's all, you, can <laughs> squeeze, you can always squeeze in a double bass. We'd have the door open and have them in the hallway if we needed to do that. Well, so this is the seventh album. Give us the website again. And, and, and people, I'm assuming people can buy this on Amazon and stuff as well. Uh, yeah, so, Amazon, iTunes, all the usual places. Uh, CDs as well on my website, which is uh, www.dorisbrendel.com. And what's the new album called? Uh, not Utopia. Okay. Would you like a copy? I would love a copy. No, there, there you go. Oh, look, I got the free one. In fact, uh, we've, we've got a calendar for you as well. See, oh, we, we, we come bearing gifts. Look at this, you're good. Yeah. Look at this, very good. Now, you come from... Oh, look at this. Oh, hello. Oh, uh, <laughs> That's a little bit of a raunchy picture It's there. amazing what you can do with Photoshop. I know yeah. what's going on there. <laughs> uh, you come from a musical family. Yes. Obviously, your, 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 your dad, uh, famous uh, pianist. Was, were you always destined to be a musician? Was that kind of Not the way? Not really, actually, because um, when you've got a really, really famous style... Then, proper famous, yeah. Uh, pro- proper famous. <laughs> proper famous. Um, then um, you actually, it's, it's actually not a good idea to become a musician because you always have to so much to live up to but i got around that by becoming a pop musician rather than a classical musician yeah. you see and they don't really have much to do well, so with each other. you'd be practicing upstairs and your dad would go oh, what is that rubbish turn, uh, turn that rubbish off oh no 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 because my dad was always on tour so oh, i always okay. had plenty of time to practice yeah. have, have you got another song you can give us can you give us another yeah, another yeah, yeah. tune before we go can, can we mention a little something we, I'll, yeah. let, I'll let you do we've, this we've uh, we've just had um an, come on speaking to the microphone ah, this is a bit of a new a new thing we've just literally had um uh, someone um give us lots more money to go 
make another video. Oh, hello, yeah. So from Switzerland. Oh, if you're on YouTube, there's yeah. lots of Doris Brendel videos yes. in there already, but we've had a... Um, the Swiss are involved. They are, yeah. yeah. A Swiss connection. <laughs> a Swiss connection, yeah. So they've actually given us um, uh, enough money to go and make a nice new video. Yeah. Um, but we're looking for some, some more string players, so we need a big orchestra in the background. Okay. Um, so we've got an idea for a video shoot. So basically mm. we're looking for string players, violinists, violas, uh, cellists, double bass yep. players, All anyone standards. who can play. All Doesn't standards. matter how how good you are, how bad you are. There's everyone. Swiss money involved. The twenty sixth, twenty sixth of January at the Drill Hall in Ware. Fantastic. Um, if we can get as many people to come along to that as possible. If you go to Doris Bendel website, click on videos, and then um, you'll see the There's whole a community link with the yeah exactly community project. We shall put that on our website as well. Excellent. That sounds very exciting. You've got a minute and a half. Can you do a minute and a half tune? Oh, we can try. Of course you can. You, of course you can. You're talking to me. Oh, okay. you well, apparently, you wanted. Okay. Oh, God. Do whatever you found. Don't, don't, don't uh, worry about what we wanted. You do whatever you found. Don't put me loads, otherwise, that would really confuse me. You want to do, should we do something that you know? Yeah, why not? Go on. What? I, do, do you, oh. to go to jail put your house on up for sale you gotta get lawyer on up you didn't catch a town up your final round me on facts up my own are you shopping on the wear change the color of your hair are you busy did you have to pay that fine? You've been dodging all the time. You're still this Well, since I came on home, well, my body's in a mess. And I miss your tender hair and the way you like to dress. Won't you come over? Stop making a fool and me. Good work. Give us the website one more time so people can uh, have a look. DorisBrendel.com. Nice and easy. That was brilliant. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks I love that. Uh, right. Oh, that was fun. I'm all excited now. Well, there we go. We made it. We made it to the end of the week. Who'd have thunk it? I enjoyed that as well. That was nice. Right, that's it. I'm off to pantomime tomorrow in St Albans. If you're going to go and see Mr Maker, I shall see you there. Ta-ta. Back on Monday at six. Stick around though. David Prey was up next, filling in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's nine o'clock. Thank you to Ian and the team.